problems and I still don't never call them. Why would I call them? Bitch, you know I'm ballin'. Spend that money, make it bounce back like Spaulding. Got a new nigga and he say he from New Orleans. If he ain't talking money, nigga, why the fuck you talkin'? All my bitches bossy, all my diamonds flossy. Rap gets a roger, man, you know I'm saucy. I got a white dude in Boston, he whip a Audi. Bitch, I'm taking calls, no small talk. 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 Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome. I'm behind you. I'm hovering. I'm looking at what you're... Are you texting? No, you're not. <laughs> are you texting at Naval Assemblies? Joking. How are you guys doing? You can sit closer, too, if you want. You're welcome to come and... You can lay down. I mean, you can do anything you want. So... Is uh, thank you guys. This is Sisters with Invoices. Uh, can I speak to your manager? Conversation. Moderate. You what? I was told by Apple Care. Oh. <laughs> I think you're funny. That was a lowercase I. Um, uh, I got Teray here. Yeah. Such a pleasure. Yeah. I can introduce myself. Um, some of you all may have seen me in the scene. Some of you may have seen me on the dance floor. I am a movement enthusiast, and uh, <laughs> and I love to talk and read and share. And you know, I'm here for vulnerable conversations. So I'm glad that you you know reached out to me, and I reached out to you too, and we made it happen. So um, and also I use pronouns they them. We'll be working, you know, inc incorporating that tonight. But yeah. Yeah, so Tere will be moderating the conversation, so happy to have you. And um, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with, uh, with we're going to do an introduction. Um, introduce yourself, say your pronouns if you need, and then I want you to say, let's start with something positive. I want to say like businesses that you, that you fuck with, like if you want to say some names of some businesses that you patronize and enjoy. We'll start there. Um, so my name's Emilian Kashiro. My pronoun is she, and I really like Simply Wholesome, only when I have a lot of time on my hands, or just get a patty and go, because <laughs> it takes a long time, but it's nice for a conversation. And I also enjoy um, stuff I eat in Inglewood, um, that raw vegan joint down in downtown. And then I'll have you go in there. You want to go that way? Okay. Hello. Hi. I recognize... Most people in the room. Um, I'm Jazzy McGilbert, and I. What are we saying? So your pronouns, and then what your, what's your favorite? She, her, uh, boss. Yeah. Yes. Um, and businesses that I frequent and enjoy my experience at. I love the Underground Museum. Um, mm -hmm. That just feels like home, and I like being there. I like being there. Um, I own two business. I'm a business owner. Um, I think that's my first time saying that out loud. But um, I have a retail shop opening June 8th uh, near Washington and La Brea called Reparations Club. And we sell um, POC-owned brands. It's kind of a very eclectic shop. 
And then just down the street from that is Loom, which I also love, which is my best friend's company, but it's a um, sexual and reproductive health education space. So uh, two black women, myself included, own it, along with some other fine white folks. And uh, it's a really special place. Um, what else do I love? I love Credo um, for some, like they have... My business test is if I can go into a white-owned business and say, do you have any black-owned brands here or POC-owned brands here? And they, can, they walked me right through, and they're like, yes, we have this person, this person, this person. This might work for you. And they're like an organic beauty shop. So I fucks with them. And there's so many other ones we'll get into. And Roscoe's. Um, Credo. C-R-E-D-O. Um, they are on, what street is that? Beverly? Where's Credo? Right across, yeah, third, third. Um, they're great. Hi, I'm Whitney and uh, Whitney Gibson. Uh, she, her. I don't. I can't think of any any businesses that I'm really into. I was going to name your businesses. I wish I would have gone before you so I could uh, shout out. Loom and Reparations Club. Um, I also love the Underground Museum. I'm going to rack my brain. I don't know. I don't. I'm like, I'll come if I if something pops up, I'll come back around. I can think of a lot of businesses I don't fuck with, but I know we're trying to be positive. So, I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying. I'm trying. Hi, everyone. Uh, Adam, um, pronoun he. Businesses that I fuck with. Uh, venues, I guess. You know, there's one venue, um, uh, well, venue owner. His name is Rob Hill. Young, black guy. What's that? Uh, well, it used to be on Naomi. He also has one on, um, I'm throwing almonds everywhere. He used to have one. He has one on Manhattan, well, Gage and Western. Um... It's just a warehouse, you know, yeah. And um, in, <clears throat> just to give a little context, the warehouse scene is very, very sketchy, you know. More often than not, the people you're interacting with, like venue owners, are, are terrible, you know. And this person really stands out as ethical, you know, it's black-owned, isn't trying to beat you over the head with the prices, works with you, cleans with you, sets up with you, really good people. Um, sound system people, if you're ever looking for a really good sound system for the low, Belizean people, they know sound, okay? Elusive sound, it's really, really good shit, and they'll work with you. It's a duo, DJ Cuddy, DJ Kareem, solid, you know? And they'll always tell you that Belizean people are nice, and they are a great example. Um, and again, you know, black immigrant vibes, gotta support and then last but not least, oh my God, Grilla Mall in Alhambra. Yeah. It's a heavy metal themed burger joint. Yeah. In Alhambra. They do, uh, they do Uber Eats and it's the best burger. It's the best burger in LA. Grilla Mall. Cowboy from Hell is my shit. Yeah. Oh, really? I've never been there. I've only done Uber, Uber Eats. 
website, they might. But the truffle fries are to die for. Uh, to die for? Yeah. I gotta try these. They overdo it with the truffle oil, which is what makes it great. Oh my god, when they don't worry about that, I guess. Exactly. Hi, my name is Jasmine. Um, she, her, hey. She, her, they pronouns. Um, businesses that I support. Um, I am going to miss human resources. I think they were trying. I think Naval's trying. Um, and that's a space that also supports me. So I'm like, okay, I see y'all. And then um, some food places like Fusion Burgers. It's like a family run uh, burger spot in Highland Park. Really good. Also on Uber Eats. Also has truffle fries, but probably not as good because they do skimp on the truffle oil. <laughs> Simply Wholesome. I grew up eating Simply Wholesome. I can remember the first time I went there as a kid. I remember down to getting the shrimp fajita. I, that's a place I grew up with, so I appreciate having those in our neighborhood. Okay. I don't know. That's all for me. Oh, and also band merch. I love buying band merch. Like merch from bands, like t-shirts from bands, zines. Like those are the kind of shit that like all of my Venmo is. It's just t-shirts and like things like that. Like that is just one of my favorite things to do because I know it's going directly to the band and it goes directly to the people. It's like, I know. It makes me so happy. I said a band has merch I really like. It just all just comes. Like I like I met this great band in Riverside called the um, the Groaners and they are like the Groans and they had some good merch. Yeah. Oh yeah, that merch if y'all want to support another one. But those are just things I do. I wasn't trying to bring that up. I was just I was literally just trying to be like, oh, this is what I'm into. But also that, also that. <laughs> are we go are we going around to everybody? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hi, I'm Salam, she, her, and businesses that I love to support, um, like, I just like the small markets, like, just all around for all the small things, like, especially um, spices and so on. There's a really beautiful Eritrean-owned spice shop in West Adams that I go to. I think it's just called... I think it's just called a retrain market. <laughs> um, all the all the restaurants in the Ethiopia. Um, where else do I go? Um, that's pretty much like as far as like spending my money and like really thinking about where I'm spending my money. It's usually like food related, and it's usually just like a restaurant that's owned by like the people that come from the country that make the food. You know what I mean? Like it's just so I'm just supporting like literal people that are just making their own food. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Everywhere else, I don't, I, don't, I don't really like spending my money. I don't know. I mean, I'm down for all of your suggestions, so I'll check them all out. So Teray again, they, them pronouns. And um, I don't really think critically about this. Um, I'm really excited about the topic because I think that I'm very like bottom-ish when it comes to how companies treat me. I'll be like, whatever, you know? Um, so, but places that I frequent, I'll, I'll just mention one place. It's called, um, ooh, oh, uh, it's called... Um, 
It's an Ethiopian food spot that's not in Little Ethiopia. Um, Kat, do you know what it is? Um, it's off of Pico. It's the Awash. Awash. Uh, like I, yeah. I mean, I go there because um, I've had I've just had good memories there. I don't feel rushed ever. The food is consistent. It's great, and um, yeah. And I just respect them. I respect you know that the space is theirs, and I just come to engage and and enjoy. And I love going there. So yeah. Hey everyone, my name is Chase. Um, my pronouns are he and him. Um, in terms of businesses, I really fuck with like my homies and just seeing like how people are really building up their businesses because like they want to start legacies and everything for their kids and whatnot. So like my homie, my homie Mizan, he has this like white t-shirt kind of business and it's like it's called a dirty fucking shirt. So pretty much it's like old English because we're from LA. We have old English on the on the front, and it says a dirty fucking shirt. So if you're eating a hot dog and you get ketchup or something on your shirt, it's okay because it's a dirty fucking shirt. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? It was, another one. Another one is. <laughs> another one is my homie uh, Antoine Taylor. Right? He went to college. And he, he makes these socks called the cause. So anytime people buy the socks, he donates money to like, you know, um, certain organizations and charities to like help raise like community value and shit. Um, in terms of food, I fuck with Garden Walk. It's an all vegan uh, Chinese restaurant in the valley. And like Garden Walk, like walk like W-O-K. And um, mom and pop like, Restaurant and they come in with these vegan fried chicken sticks, drumsticks, and it. I'm I'm not lying with y'all. It like tastes just like fried chicken in my opinion. So I'm saying y'all. It's been six years, but but you know what I mean. My my family's from the south, so we really be eating like big shit. So, but I mean, other than that, just support your friends and everything they do. That's all I gotta say. All right. Hello. 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 Uh, my name is Kat, uh, pronouns he, him. Um, hmm. Yeah, I would say I'm like Teray. Like, I don't, I've never really like studied my favorite places for, uh, for food and things like that. But um, I feel like a struggle that I've had is like finding a coffee shop that I really, really want to go to because I'm, I'm, I'm so exhausted going to places like I think it's like Intelligenista or whatever the fuck that name is. Like I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm tired. I'm over it. But I like the aesthetic. That's just what I fuck with. Um, but I did find a coffee shop that I like. That's black owned. Um, Bloom and yes, yo, yes, you put me on that. Thank you, baby. I appreciate that. Um, and they're like, they're super close to my house, which I really like, so I can bike there. Um, yeah, so I feel like I'm definitely gonna go there more often. As far as food, uh, hmm. What happened? They do, they do. Um, Roro's chicken. Yeah, Roro's chicken. Uh, it's Mediterranean. I actually had it today. It's off of. 
Sunset and Cherokee. Um, really great food, super simple. Like the the service is just very friendly. Like they they come around to your table, like they have a conversation with you. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to patronize them. Um, what's another place? What's another place? Uh, so I just got into ramen, and uh, thank you. <laughs> All right, um, Daiku. Shout out to y'all for supporting that nigga. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Oh, Daikoku ya? I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so that place. Amazing ramen. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's really great. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Hi, I'm Nona, um, pronouns she and her. Um, I'm thinking, um, I could really only think about food, but I do patronize places that are family owned um, and uh, places that run for generations. I haven't been in a while, but you know, I love Jewish delis, <laughs> uh, like Langer's. Um, I know the people, I remember like the grandpa and everyone. Um, I also like Who's, Who's Shazwan near the place um, I'm spacing out where we do the karaoke. So it's off of National. And uh, yeah, exactly. So who's like, they're really nice. Like every time you go there, I've been going there for a while now. So they just give you like free chilled cucumbers and stuff. And they're really nice. Um, also like Hurry Curry on Venice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but places, um, and as far as market, I like Rainbow Acres, um, but places, where the workers are happy, but when they're not overtly happy, and it's not fake, <laughs> you could tell that when people are being treated properly. So I try to, you know, try to focus on that. Hi, I'm Camila. Um, pronoun her, she. I'm trying to, this is like, this is a hard question for me because I fuck with a lot of places. Um, anything that's owned by Latinos for me, um, or Latinas, and all the taco trucks, all the taco trucks for me. Um, oh, I, mean, I go to Cactus on Beverly. You don't hear me? I go to Cactus on Beverly and um, and West. It's like closest, like Western. Anything that's family owned, I just try to avoid anything that's like corporate across the board. Even though I'm like a total Whole Foods hoe, like for sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess any, just anything that's like, anything that's family owned, anything that's Latino owned. And um, I try not to guilt myself though too much either. Like if I veer outside of those zones of places that I know I should be supporting per se, but it's like not available to me conveniently. Um, I don't know, we're part of the matrix, you know, it is what it is. So I try and find that balance, but yeah. Hello. <laughs> My name is Okara. Um, uh, she, her, or they is fine as well. Um, I'm from Indiana, so here there are a few uh, black-owned businesses that I have like been watching for a while that I'm getting to like patronize this week. Um, I went to Stuzo Clothing and finally got myself a sweatshirt. 
It's a beautiful feeling in there. They have made a beautiful place. <laughs> what? I was just across the street today. <laughs> um, I went to high and tight to get my haircut because I saved my haircut for this trip. I wanted to like come here and find my people and get my haircut. It's an amazing space in there as well. It feels really nice in there. Um, Oh, do, 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 do. We went to My Two Cents today, yeah. and I stuffed my face, and that was amazing. We walked in, and he said, what up, cuz? And I was like, well, hello. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> so that was wonderful. Um, I, I'm from Indiana, so I like black-owned spaces. I really, really look for queer-owned spaces because we are over there quite thirsty for it. So... Um, those are the things and places that make me smile. So. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Mandy, and um, my preferred pronouns are she, her, um, and I mean, depending on the culture, they, them also works for me. Um, I like um, my tailoring lady um, at Shine Cleaners in Hollywood because <laughs> notes app. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shine Cleaners because um, we have like a really intimate relationship. Like it's her job to figure out how to tailor the things that I think might work for me into the things that really make it pop. So, hi. So, I love her, and that's a business I fuck with. And I'll go from Eagle Rock to Hollywood to get to her. And I trust her, like, she has to, like, really be <laughs> up in it. It's a nice relationship. Was that, that's a question, right? A vendor that you feel passionate about? Okay, cool. What's up, everybody? Uh, <clears throat> thank you for your wonderful uh, suggestions. I'll be eating everywhere, everybody. I look forward to that. Um, my name is Shelly. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I really usually only support black-owned or queer-owned businesses like Stuzo. Um, if you want candles, go to Hot Thing Candles, Edibles, uh, Sky High Club. Oh, Sky High Club for the edibles. Um, let's see. Sky High Club for the edibles. Really good, really, really bomb edibles. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and write that down. Tell them Shelly sent you. Um, let's see what else. And they have butter, too, so you can make your own edibles. Um, let's see, who else? Dapper Boy for jeans. If you have, like, a um, hard time finding jeans like me, Dapper Boy is a good queer-owned business. Um, let's see who else. I mean, I, I, I fuck with so many people. It's just it's hard. But uh, keep up the good work with the community and everything. I love this, you know. And whoever put the, I fuck with whoever put that food out today. Um, that's a, I'm going to just claim that as a business that I, I now fuck with, so. 
food spread critic. Yeah, the food spread. Snacks are important. Say it again. <laughs> My name is Brandon, um, moving into using they, them. Um, I try to be really serious about like keeping in mind, like don't shop where you won't be hired, um, but like kind of impossible. Um, and also I'm like really poor, so it's just like they ain't too many places for me to shop anyway. Um, but yeah, dealing with that and then also I try to keep in mind, um, for me, it's not just like black owned, but like black owned and operated. Like that's something that I struggle a lot with in this city is like finding a black owned business or like working with a black owned business. But it's just like, besides that nigga, I'm the only other nigga in the business and it's just like, it's cute, you own your business, but like, you're not employing us. Um, so, I don't know. I, like, Bloom and Plume, the floral shop, I've done work with Maurice, um, and I recommend him to plate to people whenever they're looking um, for floral arrangements. Um, I just found out yesterday my favorite, not my favorite, but like, it's black owned, so. I support it, um, but my favorite juice spot downtown, Green Grotto, um, but it's closed now, or it's like moving, I think. Um, I was a little bit too shook to like actually read the sign that was in the window, <laughs> but it was all covered in plastic, so. Um, and then, not black owned, but I think m mostly or all non-black Latino, but other books um, in Boyle Heights is actually, if I do buy a book, that's where I prefer to go. And they have like a really good um, poetry section. Um, they maintain like a, a good selection of like used and new stuff. But like, it's the only, it's the only bookstore that I've gone to just like in readily like accessible spaces that is actually like, had like Alice Walker and like Gwendolyn Brooks and like just like there. And it's like $7 and not like, Give me $45 for this fucking book. Um, so, yeah, other books. Um, okay, everybody. thank you. Well, do you want to go, Naya? And, or I, I'm... A, and then Ayami. Oh, um, hello, I'm Naya. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Naya. So, yeah, say your name, okay. pronouns, and then what your favorite business, business or businesses are that you patronize. Oh, black owned. And it doesn't matter. It could oh. be anything. Oh. Like, it can be a dispensary. It could be whatever. I don't know. Well, I have a black therapist if anyone's looking for a black therapist. So <laughs> I can refer you. Oh, sorry. I have a black therapist if you uh, want the contact. And there's an app um, that shows you the black owned businesses in your area. I can't remember the name of it, but I'm going to try and find it. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Hi, you guys. Um, my name's Ayame. My name's Ayame, and um, I identify as a him, he, him. Uh, places I like are stuff I eat. I've been there. The lady is really nice. She actually used to go to school with my aunt. So, you know, that's what's up. Support the family, if you guys. <laughs> it's in Inglewood. Um, I, the flea market for clothes. 
because the flea market are, is always people that live all over the world. Like you meet like little old couples and like, and they're getting rid of furniture and art and music and all types of stuff. I also sell there. The Rose Bowl flea market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you guys want to pull through. Um, really? Really? Okay, that's that. Um, I'll let you guys know more about that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you will get lost fast. Um, I don't know. I, like, he, like you said, friends, family, people that are doing things that, you know, I support. I mean, I support everyone, anyone who's my people. Um, that's pretty much it. Oh, Earl's. I don't know if Earl's is still open. It is? Okay, I heard that it did, and I haven't been back, and I don't know where it is, but Earl's Grill is the, is the spot, and they got, they got the vegan chili cheese fries. I've been eating them since I was little. They're good. The dog, too. Okay, so, yeah. Great place. Yeah. I Google it. Not alcohol yeah, I used the Orion's too in Pasadena, but Orion's got whack, so don't go there. They're kind of shady. I don't like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, are you finished, Ayami? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Honeybees, honeybees, yeah. slamming, and Mario the porta potty man. <laughs> <laughs> like he, the best price porta potties. <laughs> or any, you can you can hit them up an hour before, and he'll bring them joints to your party. <laughs> But thank you for sharing that underground party setup. <laughs> and then la there's one more I got for y'all, um, but I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, oh. What is it? Do you want to say it in the mic? It's called, I think it's Ike's Subs. It might be Ike's Place. It's like out by the hammer, or the one, the location I know is out by the hammer, and then there's one in Oakland that I've been to. Does anybody? Okay. Yeah, I guess, I'm like, I assumed it was a black man, but I saw a photograph in the newspaper and I don't think he's black anymore, but I don't know, but I wasn't sure if anybody else was familiar with the place and knew, but they got really good sandwiches, but okay. I, it's across the street from, or adjacent to the hammer. I am going to speak for Sean. Oh, he'll do it now. Great. Sean, he, him, uh, shouts to Stevie's Creole Cafe on Pico, uh, Major Domo in, next to Chinatown, and Dong Il Zhang Korean Barbecue. Yeah, David Chang's restaurant. So that was Dong Il Zhang. Is it D-O-N-G? Dong I-L. Like Zhang. Okay. <laughs> uh, but we go there a lot and so Sean is my, my husband shouts out to him but he is a quarter Japanese quarter Korean half white um, but this is like the spot it's kind of like Lowry's of Korean food they like Dong Il Jong but that's where his family has always gone to it's like really legit and delicious and the ladies wear these cute uniforms it's kind of old school it's really great. I would go there. Um, and Sean's mother is a business owner. She has a Japanese bedding and antique store um, on uh, Gateway in Barrington. So yeah, cool. Uh, oh, it's called Sleep Exquisite. And it's, I think, the only place in LA to get authentic Japanese bedding. 
Um, so like, she will make you a bed with like beautiful Japanese imported fabrics and she hand makes everything. She's like such an artisan. It's amazing. Um, she has kimonos, but yeah, lots of good stuff. And what Sean always tells me, I'm like, oh, futons. And he's like, futons. Uh, they don't sell futons. It's not, futons are not what we think of as futons. They're futons and they're beautiful. Oh, can I, this is a million, I want to say one of my favorite studios to shoot at is Edge Studios, which Sean and Jazzy have been so generous in sharing with sisters, but also literally it was, it's like my favorite like, uh, studio to shoot at. We, I did my first cover there for, um, with Hunger Magazine with Elizabeth Olsen. I remember being there like, whoa, this is so beautiful, but really like the treatment and the air and the light, so yeah, support Sisters and Book at Edge, too. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, we also make a sincere effort to support creatives who maybe don't have the budget to book these expensive studios. So Edge exists somewhere between, like, a Milk Studios, but, like, not as low budget as, like, an FD Studios downtown. They have equipment on site, and the guys there are all really sweet. They're all young creatives, and we try to support the creative community there as well, so... Okay, y'all, I, um, I figured mine out. <clears throat> Thank you for the inspiration. I'm going, to <laughs> I'm going to mention Trader Joe's because it's still the only place I can go to on a weekly basis as I try to not eat out all the time and still get my groceries for under $20. I just go there and I get my shredded wheat and my almond milk and my apples and I leave and I'm able to get out of there with like $15. Their so employees are happy too. Huh? Their employees are happy and treated very well. I, you know, they remind me yeah. to be alive and be engaging, um, you know, and that's yeah. a good reminder. So, um, the way they approach that, um, I'm going to try not to chew in the mic. <laughs> the way Trader Joe's approached that situation where um, that man yeah. that uh, shot his, his, uh, his mom and crashed in there, um, the way they handled that was very commendable. You know, um, I don't know if you've read the story about how the people inside of the store address, approached him and kind of walked him. No, you, you want yeah, to share? Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's like a movie scene. They kind of like calmed him down, helped him understand that like, you know, life's not over. And, um, you know, an employee from that store actually died from a gunshot wound that came from the cops that was shooting at this man that was running away. They didn't away. say that in the news. Of course not. You know how it go. But, um, yeah, I love Trader Joe's. Thanks for sharing that. And then also, um, there's Stokely's that just opened off of, is that Pico? It's a queer, it's, it's, a, um, it's a social house. It's a queer social house. And there's events going on there all the time. Aisha owns the space. She's an amazing entrepreneur. Um, yeah, well, before then, she was, uh, what was the name of her place? Uh, not the Ninth Chapter. So she's um, a, a queer woman that um, has always been really enterprising and, and holding spaces for queer folks in L.A. to get our hair cut. Everybody was going to Aisha. And um, now she has a social house uh, where you can go. We can play pool. We can do karaoke. Uh, there's comedy nights um, and poetry nights. And there's popcorn and coffee. And uh, she's going to be having her grand opening soon. And, you you know, she's just amazing, warm Libra, you know, just, this is Stokely's, <laughs> yeah, uh, Stokely's uh, social house. And um, 
It's just right there on Pico with all the other queer black owned spots. Like y'all are just wow. popping up and it's so beautiful. Come on, Mid-City. Um, and then there's Chef Marilyn's on Crenshaw. <laughs> yes, where you can get 99 cent um, black eyed peas. <laughs> get you some, um, some rice and um, what else? and mac and cheese, everything, you know, 99 cents. And then if you want meat, you know, it's a little more expensive. But um, I like, I like there. Um, now, I, now, you know, uh, I can't say it's the, um, I felt the safest there sometimes. Like sometimes people be flirted with me and I don't want to be flirted with. But the food is good. Um, Sky's Tacos is a, a black owned, uh, like a fusion, um, soul food and Mexican food like spot and so they have like these bomb shrimp tacos that it's the only thing I get because I've tried to get other stuff and I just keep coming back to those tacos. Uh, Planet Fitness I've mentioned because their memberships are 20 bucks and when you go in there there's they've intentionally like have things to make people feel comfortable across like body size and um, I think that's really important um, so there's like you belong here they you know placed here and there's like all that stuff. So I appreciate I appreciate that it's affordable and I appreciate that um, I feel comfortable being there um, and belonging there. And they have like weird rules too where it's like no uh, spaghetti string uh, tank tops. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like shit like that. It's actually plastered because it would be messy. Um, then the last one I'll share is um, allbookstores.com. It's a um, collection of all the uh, online stores that sell books and they it's called allbookstores.com. Yeah, and it's just it's just, it's just a collection a aggregate of um, oh it's just an aggregate of um, all the bookstores online, and they show you which one's cheapest. And I usually get books for like under five bucks. So. All right, I forgot to mention one business that I think you should all know about. Um, my mother has a women's activewear line for women for all sizes and activewear. A W29 activewear. And yeah, yeah. And it's run by my mom. Yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, so Camila and then Ayame. I just wanted to say you mentioned that you go to Trader Joe's in an effort to buy as much groceries as you can um, and not eat out. But the, the best way, really, to like maximize. Um, the amount of money you're spending on groceries is to go to the farmer's market. Like, that's the best place to go and support people because those farmers are like, they picked those fucking strawberries and brought them in the van and drove from, like, a fucking Bakersfield. I don't know, you know, like, it's... You're cutting out the middleman so you're getting more for your money and you're reducing, like, the amount of plastic and packaging and, like, the carbon footprint that goes into actually getting your food to the supermarket. Go to the farmer's market. Like, it's, it takes a little more effort to, like, haul your shit around and to, like, get there. But <clears throat> you're also eating seasonally, which is a lot better for the environment um, and a lot better for the natural rhythms of your body when you're eating what's actually in season. And I was talking, I think I was talking to you or somebody about the strawberries over there and how, like, in California we forget about seasonality at some capacity because we have an abundance of everything available to us like at all times because we have a climate where a lot of things will readily grow. But it's important to start doing our research, especially for regenerative agricultural purposes and for the regeneration of our soil and <clears throat> our land. It's super, super important that 
we attune ourselves to that rhythm. So supporting the farmer's market does that. And like the food is like way more woke. Like it's just like alive. Like you, it has a lot more chi to it too. So it's, you get that, that energetic vitality as well. So just, and you're saving money, like why not, you know? And it's, lovely, it's a lovely experience to go there and like pick out your food and connect with it and get a relationship with the farmer that grew it, you know? Pearl, I wish I was just eating all that with you. Um, okay, so this is just a side note on the Trader Joe's thing. My aunt really, really, really fucks with Trader Joe's. Like she goes way too much, so she knows the people. And I realize that if you go... And if you don't know what something is, or they told us that if you go and if you don't know what something is and you want to try it, they have to open it for you right there and taste it, like, like open it with you. Trader Joe's. Just... I can suck in this. My best friend, old roommate, worked at Trader Joe's. Okay, okay. I was like, because I wasn't sure if they just had a really good relationship with the store and they were like... Okay, so I just yeah. want reiter- yeah. like, to reiterate. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that if you have something to share to yeah. speak into the mics. Um, also, my aunt has a yoga studio. I don't know. I forgot the name of it. I'm sorry, and I don't have the thing with me. The business cards, but we have. She has a yoga studio. So if you guys want to try that, it's in Altadena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. I don't know, but I'll get it for you and I'll send it to you. And I'll give it to a million too, so she can you can put it out. The yoga studio thing, yeah. I don't know. I forgot the name of it, so that's why I said I'm gonna send it to you. Oh yeah, send it to me. Oh yeah, I'll make a list after. I just wanted. Oh, this is not. Oh. Um, I just wanted to say that yesterday my friend gave me a rave review. I, I knew something would come through to my head for um, California Cannabis on Crenshaw. It is black owned. It's a former felon, and he's like a he's he's back up in it. And so, and she said the weed was very very good, and the customer service was great. There we go. That's the only thing I can contribute. Last one. I remember I had a third one that I was trying to circle back and tell y'all about. It's called Offline Fitness in Lincoln Heights on Pasadena Avenue. It's a very, you know, as the, as the name uh, implies, it's very low-key personal training. It's not like the super intense, like, you know, bro boot camp vibes. It's very slow, a lot of foam rolling. And it's very efficient and low cost. Yeah, offline fitness. Was that? It's um, it's in like a it's in a bit of a sketchy um strip mall. No, it's not on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's run by a fella named Michael Lam, Chinese American, Lincoln Heights native, been there all his life. And um, he's really trying to just focus on the things that matter when it comes to fitness. And, you know, personal training is expensive, but he gives a $50 consultation, and it's really, really useful for you to understand, like, you know, the balance of your body, the kind of rolling you should do, and the kind of fitness stuff that you should engage in. Highly recommended. Offline fitness. Thank you, Adam. Um, Okay, so anybody? Okay, so here we go. Thank you guys for sharing all of that. Um, just so you know, we have conversationalists on deck. We have Jazzy McGee, Whitney Gibson, who's going to share some. I feel like you got the good scams. I just smell a scam from you. I just smell a scam. 
Um, we got Kat Wilson in the house. We got Camila uh, Cassan. I'm sorry, I don't want to miss say your name. Cassanas, who's actually like sisters. She, uh, she has currently come on as our food decolonizer. That's yeah. <laughs> you could do the math and figure out what that might mean. So all right. So one thing I think I want to riff off with that, and also we got Tere moderating. Um, anybody have any objections to any of the businesses that, that anyone here said that they fuck with? Uh, if you heard in any of the businesses here that somebody enjoyed, did you have an objection about any of the businesses that were said? Like, did you have an adverse experience with that business? You object? Do you, you, did you, did anybody object to any? No? Y'all, okay, so... Good standing. Wait, say that again. I'm not. I'm not. I was. I was gonna object because I didn't like. I didn't. Really like I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna share an unpopular opinion. I don't really fuck with Trader Joe's like that. <laughs> they use. They they use a lot of plastic. And the quality is just like, it's, it's not there for me. And I understand from a budget perspective, it's like why it's a lot of people's go-to. But um, I think in spaces like this, we can collaborate and be a little more um, creative in the way we patronize different places. Because Trader Joe's, their, their produce is trash. And like their ingredients, like everything has fucking canola oil in it and cane sugar, which is all like horrible for you. And so... And I don't know how happy their employees are. Like, they look happy there, but, like, are they that happy? Like, I don't, I don't have any actual verifiable proof of that, so I can't vouch for it, but I really don't fuck with Trader Joe's that heavy. I don't feel like anything there is that great or anything I really want to spend my money on, to be honest with you, even if it is cheaper than me going to Whole Foods or wherever, you know? I can comment on Trader Joe's employees' um, I guess secondhand, firsthand knowledge, but my old roommate, my still best friend, worked there for quite a while. He's a rapper, and uh, they gave him a job when he needed one and didn't have one. Health benefits. He was... I've never seen someone so excited to go to work, and it was... The whole staff was, like, really tight, and they treat them very well, gave him free groceries on top of the money they paid him, and he was treated very well there and would go back in a heartbeat. So just saying, they are happy. It's, it's interesting because like you're looking at it from a sustainability perspective in terms of like their waste, which uh, nobody has any complaints about the way Trader Joe's treats their employees. So it seems like everyone's happy. It seems like, yeah, they seem like they're having fun at work and they're allowed to have fun. Um, I, I see the, 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 how you, one can be torn. I guess it depends on where your moral, like where you, what, your, what fuels your dollar. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like also like accessibility and stuff is really important and like, you know, um I, I think it's great that you highlighted like people coming together and being able to like share resources around like what places are best. Um I think when it's come to groceries for me and just spending money on food, like it's still the most expensive thing in my budget. And so, um, but when I have more money, I was like, oh yeah, like I'll go to um, farmer's markets for fruit. I'll go to Whole Food for like grains and stuff because they have stuff in bulk and I can always get like oatmeal and rice and everything like that. And um, and I think I went to Trader Joe's for like, you know, um, 
um, like uh, jams and, and, and ketchup and stuff like that, right? And I had to like split my time between these three places to feel like I had nutritional food that was also like affordable and all these things. And and I don't know about other people, but it's it's um it's something that you have to be like really intentional about, and it's, it fluctuates, but um it's uh, different for everybody and. Um, I think yeah, more you know, the better. And but it also it just fluctuates. Like sometimes you have the, a car to get to all these different places. Sometimes you don't, you know. And uh, right now it's like, all right, when I'm at work on my lunch break, I go to Trader Joe's. It's like five minutes from, you know. Like so, it's all those things that also inform my choice, you know. Thank you. Um, so just so you guys know, this is a conversation. It's not a panel. You're all a part of this. Did you have something to say? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to like concur. Like sometimes we on a, a farmer's market budget. Sometimes I'm on a super king budget. I don't know what you guys know about super king or how you feel about it. It's hard to get organic groceries there, but the prices and the selection of produce is large. I wouldn't say it's necessarily great, but it's cheap. It's cheap as fuck. It's like really, really efficient uh, pricing. So I do sh- shop at super king sometimes. Okay. I just want to say that. I just... Oh. Uh, so yeah, that just makes me think about like larger places versus also like um, like more uh, groceries are, that are oriented to a certain culture. Like um, you can get like seaweed in bulk at the Korean market. Like <laughs> go into like you know little Tokyo or um, yeah, go to the source yeah, or, tor- or you know and get yeah, like places where you're not where you're going to like a more <laughs> you know. Steps. That's, so that's what I'm getting at. That sometimes that's the way that like racism shows up in capitalism is that you go to like these stores that you know or that are more commercial and you get you know charged yeah. for that stuff when you can go to a place and like why it. buy Trader Joe's like nori? Like go to the Japanese market and buy like nor- nori. You know like it, yeah why like get it's a big so ass bag of rice. Yeah like why yeah do buy Asian food in a in like a market or in like Whole Foods or something. Like, while we're talking about co- food. Yeah, uh, because I came across this recently. There is currently, I believe it is still going on, a Kickstarter for, it's called Soul Foods Market. And it's an organic black-owned market that has all black-owned organic brands. And I think it sounds really dope and I want it to exist. Um, Not sure where it would be opening, but we got to get it open. So if you Google Soul Foods Market Kickstarter, it should come up. Yes. Jazzy, I like your point because um, it seems to get at the ownership element of like, um, you know, the discussion we're having. Um, I think um, one of the things that's really important is the access element. And I think it's important to um, couch our discussions about like, you know, prospectively what we should do better in, like, questions of, like, yeah, do I have a car? Like, I personally don't have a car. I'm not walking to any farmer's markets, period. So <laughs> I kind of, like, you know, like, it's just, like, um, I think... Um, so first I would like to say that, just... Um, that I think the responsibility really like depends on these like systematic, you know, generation by generation abilities to whether it's buy the land or apply for the loan to get the business loan so that you can start the supermarket in the neighborhood where they're gonna tell you at the bank, like, 
black people don't want organic food, you know, like, um, I, I don't, like, structural auntie, like, you know, we have to look at the, the ownership stuff, so I think any time that I'm, like, talking um, peer to peer about what, um, how I should engage in any of these, like, values that I believe I have, like, cooperative economics at this point of some sort, or, like, some theory of intentional economics, um, I'm always, like, also thinking about uh, viability in, an, in a macro structure and what's enabling that viability. Yes. That's Thank a great you, point. So much food for thought. We got food over there. Um, <laughs> we got food here, too. So... Thank you for that. So I want to, I think we should move this conversation. Did you have something to say, Jasmine? You're okay? Yes, you yes. Sure? Take up the space. Take up the space. Yeah, go Take ahead. Say what, yeah, say what you I guess say. Uh, I was going to say, what brought me here is that I am someone who hopes to own a business one day. And I, one of my dreams is to open like a yarn store, like a place where people can buy yarn. It's all focused on like black and brown people. Like I didn't know that South Africa actually produced the most merino wool. Like, that's so amazing. Yeah, I never would have thought of, like, South Africa and, like, these sheep herders and all these things. And I'm just like, but it's one of those things that, like, you don't really usually think about being connected to blackness. And I'm wondering if, like, like those kind of businesses, like, you wouldn't usually, like, connect to being black and, like, being, like, a black thing that, like, how, I don't know, like, what are y'all experiences with, like, I don't know, like, your aunt opened up a yoga place like I'm like just so curious about like those kind of businesses too like ones you wouldn't usually kind of expect so so you're asking about to name unusual like like who's what black businesses are owned that we wouldn't expect to be black owned does anybody have any to throw out there yeah jazzy or like tips oh, for opening Did one you? tips for doing things that you wouldn't usually find in our communities um I mean I don't have any tips but that's something that I spoke to Maurice like Every time I'm at the shop, like, working a gig, like, that's something that I speak with Maurice about is, like, for me, it's frustrating when he says it, of this thing of, like, like, black people don't buy, buy like, I, like, I don't rag on him about, like, who his customer is, because ultimately it's, like, like, if Jessica Alba wants to get flowers from you every Monday, like, nigga, get that Jessica Alba money. Um, but for me, that is, like, for me, it's an important thing that, like, when we say... Like, I'm a black person who owns a business. For me, the follow-up statement is, is it also operated in tune by black people? And then secondly, are you, is your customer base also interested in being black? And I feel like that's something that like a lot of, I can't speak for any of the businesses that you all mentioned this night, but in the few years that I've been living in LA, when I experience a black-owned business that's outside of the southern parts of this city, that tends to be this thing of just like they they use this they use that as like this defense thing of like well like black people don't like like black people don't buy like expensive like purses and belts and it's just like they do but like you don't want to do the labor to like interact with them and I feel like. I don't know, that's something, like, when I was in school studying fashion, like, I uh, minored in knitwear, and we would have conversations about, like, where all these materials are coming from, um, and that is, like, a fucked up reality, specifically of, like, Miranda Rule, is, like, if you do find, like, a store or a shop that, like, that's their specialty, or at least in the Bay Area, 
and it's owned by like a person of color. It's like on Maiden Lane, on like the 17th floor of this building, and like the people of color who sustain that city would never know about it. And it's not that it's like they wouldn't support it. It's just that it's like typically when it's existing, and it's it's existing in this these spaces that are not accessible or tangible to us. Anyway. That's that's a great point. Um, it actually it's a great segue into our conversation as well. I think um, I want to share a little bit about my experience in working in like high end. Um, it's not retail, but just high end places. Um, I used to be a massage therapist, and um, I used to work at this French um, themed motel in West LA over by the Beverly Center, and um, and just spent a lot of time there. So on my breaks and stuff, I would see who was patronizing like the local businesses. And and, uh, and in the restaurants, and it was mostly black folks. Like, it was mostly black folks balling out of control, buying 40 50 $60 haircuts, going to the expensive restaurants, and everything like that. And um, for me at the time, I was like 20-something. It was shocking, but it was also like, damn, like, this is me just witnessing the reality of the black dollar and how much we, like, put out there. Um, and so, um, but and when I was researching for the topic, um, I realized, I learned that a lot of the, um, like, racial slurs and inappropriate comments and stuff often happen in spaces that are um, considered to be more high-end um, or with people that are making over 75000 a year. They're, they're, they're experiencing this, this aggression of, like, you're not supposed to be here, you're not supposed to be, exp- you know, experiencing this. So um, I, I want to like segue into um, that piece around how you feel when you're in those places and you have the money and things like that. But before we get into that, I know you have something to say. Wait, did Jazzy, did, wait. And then, yeah, we do want to segue into like your, your experience in high retail, experiences in, in high retail spaces. Go, wait, um, Jazzy's been waiting. Jazzy, do you want to go first? And then Adam can go. After? Did you yes. have something to say? Um, I was going to note uh, to your question. Can you speak in the... Yes. Um, I think, I don't even know if this fits, but I think a business that a lot of people wouldn't expect black people to own, but we do have some of them as beauty supply stores. Um, I think there are fewer than 10 in Los Angeles. I think it might even be fewer than... Yeah, it's fewer than 10 because, yeah, anyway, there are black-owned beauty supply stores, and I think that in particular, I'm really interested in beauty and uh, who's selling our products to us and the ways in which they've been isolated uh, from the market. So there's one called Girl Cave LA. I think they have three locations now. Um, One, I think, on Melrose, one on Crenshaw and Inglewood, I think, Um, and there's another one. But uh, the owner, her name is Leah, she's talked a lot about how Korean communities, by nature of not speaking the language, there's so many barriers for black people to get into the beauty supply market. It's very interesting. But there are some black-owned beauty supplies, which I don't think we traditionally have owned, and we should patron them. But there's little things, like some of the prices might be 20% higher because... They don't get the discounts because they don't speak the language, and there's so many barriers to getting that price down, or they don't buy in as big a volume. So many things. I have so many thoughts about it, but there are black-owned beauty supplies that I think we could support. That's a huge... That, that's a whole... I wanted to find whole, these statistics, like, too. Let me see if I actually have them. Um, somebody might know them, but um, if anyone watched uh, the Killer Mike uh, trigger warning... 
trigger warning. Um, the first episode, he tries to buy black for a week. Is it a week? Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was a struggle. It was, uh, was it a day? Yeah, because he had to get to uh, He's a concert in another city, like, yeah, like, I think on, I don't know how he got there, but he, yeah, he had to ride a bike, like, he went, it speaks to your point, right, it speaks to your point about, like, black-owned businesses, but, like, are they operated by black people, like, where are you sourcing your food, your, your produce, all those things, like, if that's not coming from somebody black, then how much do I really want to support that business, so, yeah, um, it was, it was a struggle for him to actually do anything that was black owned because nothing was really black owned at all. And like our dollar only lasted what, like a couple, yeah, six hours. So that was. But comparatively, yeah. right. That was what disturbed me the most in that episode was the statistics about how long the dollar stays in various communities. And I think uh, a dollar stays, it was something like 120 days or something, I might be so off, in the white community, and it goes down from there, but black people were way at the bottom. The, black, the dollar stays in the black community for six hours before it changes hands over into some other community, mostly white institutions, and we... I just think that's why I'm starting this business. That is one place where both we, um, as people of color, and white people, too, can vote with their dollar. We've heard this a million times, but I think it's gotten easier to do so, and money speaks volumes in a capitalist society. And that's, I think, a direct thing that we can spend differently, think about differently, and impact these communities. Yeah, thank you, Jazzy. So, Adam, you have something to say, and then we'll, oh, yeah. we'll go back. Um, but when you, the conversation about black-owned businesses reminded me of uh, of a tale of two nightclubs in downtown LA. <laughs> um, one do tell specifically mentioned or you know made it a part of their brand that they were black-owned. The other, are you gonna say names? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, well, the Mark, the Mark nightclub on Jefferson and Main. Okay. Yeah. They were very, very clear about their intentions about servicing the Caribbean community, the black immigrant community in LA. The second nightclub is about to be the biggest, if not the second biggest, once they expand into this other building that's next door to them, the biggest nightclub or the multi-use you know, property in uh, downtown LA. That guy is District 7 on Grand and 7th. And he, when he showed me, um, we, went to, we went to college together. So it's Mark 3 and then the other club's called District the Mark, 7? Yeah. The, Mark. the Mark and District 7. District the Mark 7. right now is shut down. A commercial real estate developer walked in the club and said, I don't like the people you're bringing around here. I'm going to shut you down. That was three months ago. He's wow. still fighting to get it back open. District wow. 7 on fire, right? District 7, um, when he showed me the place, I told him, like, yo, you need to actually make a statement about being, a, like, a black-owned club in downtown L.A. And he was like, I don't want nobody to know that I run this place. When people show up and they're delivering ice and drinks and shit, they talk to me like I'm the busboy, and they ask me for the manager to come. 
And I tell them, okay, he'll come right now. And he just lets them wait until they get frustrated and they leave the shit and go. So there's that. And then to answer your question, um, like tips to start something, I mean, start with the intangibles, you know? We live in the age of social media. It's, you can launch a brand tomorrow. You can launch a brand tonight. You know, and start with that. These fucking phones take incredible pictures. <laughs> and just build a little brand that has no overhead and then start testing stuff out. You know, spend a little hundred dollars, see if you could double that. And then see, and you know, just bit by bit. Because a lot of times we feel the pressure to go big or go, go, go home, you know, and that's America, you know, it's Costco mentality, you know. But in reality, you could really just start with some like little bullshit Instagram stuff, see how people react and just scale from there. Yeah, um, thank you for that, Adam. Um, yeah, it's important to work vertical, or I'm sorry, horizontal and not vertical, to and acknowledge our community and um, like how like even like linking up or collaborating with each other is it's moves. You know what I mean? And how much? Yeah, Shelly, did you? Did, did you share? No, I was gonna. I was gonna. No, I was just talking about um, the killer Mike. Um, thing. Um, I was just going to say, you know, I don't think we really understand our purchasing power. You know, um, I think sometimes we'd be wanting to wait until we get to a certain level to support. But, you know, how many people are actually wearing a black owned business right now? You are one. <laughs> one, two, two. Four percent in here. Four. Three, five, four. Me, I have on. This is Stuzo. Okay, this I I made this. Does that count? Yeah. I'm half. So, We're operating so at 40, enough, 40, right. forty-five percent. Forty-five right. percent of the people. Okay, that's good. That's good because you know our purchasing power is real, and when you spend just you know a portion of your paycheck or a portion of your income consistently, it really does make an impact. And it doesn't have to be on a large scale. It could be a t-shirt, some socks, a scarf, mm -hmm. you know, or donations, or a referral, or- Patreon? A, yeah, a repost. Like, people don't understand, like, support can be free as well. Like, there's so many other things that we could do. And the Killer Mike episode just, you know, it was just crazy because he couldn't even go to a black-owned restaurant because they weren't sourcing the food from a black-owned farm, or they wasn't, you know what I mean? He couldn't, there was nowhere for him to go. Um, so also I would say be brave about making these things that we don't see exist. You know, if you see something that's not there, create it. Yeah, thank you for that. I wanted Hi. to add something really quick, if that's okay. Um, I had an uh, experience. Um, I had styled Jen Nakiru for Gucci because it was like around the time that Gucci had the controversy with the blackface balaclava, balaclava thing, turtleneck. So they, she asked Gucci to hire a stylist because she did not want to wear Gucci for the premiere of Black to Techno when, with like in a conversation with Dream Hampton. So I had maybe like four days to find head-to-toe black brands, which is what her request was. She wanted to wear head-to-toe jewelry. Every part of that outfit was to be black-owned. And I was crying in my car. I won't even lie. I mean, I could, like shoes, 
The only shoe brand that came through was Brother Vieles. And I don't know who her PR is, but they were not helpful to me. They were really rude. They made it, they made it so stressful for me um, to just make selects. And I, on the barely, barely was able to get that shoe. Um, just sur sourcing and searching. Kat was assisting me, because Kat helps me with wardrobe. Um, Ace um, <laughs> um, was researching black designers and Man, I think that there were probably about under 10, honestly, in the United States. In, in the United States. The UK has a lot, and like South Africa, and Africa has a lot of black designers. But in the United States alone, there were no like, you know, like real, like, you know what I mean? Like designers that you could, you could wear to like, you know, beside, not like, like active wear, you know what I mean? I'm talking about like sewn couture like that. And, um, man, I struggled so hard on that job. And also too, just kind of feeling like I wasn't sure, like, am I in the picket line? Like, am I crossing the picket line? Like all these things, like, I mean, I'm supporting her and, um, it was so stressful. It made me really sad. It made me really stressed out. And it made me really realize like, man, like we, that needs to change because when you look at influence and you look at, um, the way that people see themselves and seeing themselves in black is, is different, you know? And what, the way we dress and the psychology of dressing is like how we see ourselves um, and how we let the world see us. You know, it's like that, that mirror back, you know? And that made me really think about, damn, like how, does, how do we change that? And especially, you know, the learning in that process too about how a lot of the people who are the co the, the, um, behind the scenes in textiles, in um, like trim, in tailoring and mastering are all kind of held under like Karl Lagerfeld, certain houses that have control, like LVMH has a lot of control over like like getting the best. Like it's not one it's one thing to get a brand, but when you like de, when you like look at the deconstruction of a brand, like all those parts matter. Like Tom Ford has a specific like my mom worked for as manager of tailoring for Tom Ford for about eight years. Like those zippers are specific zippers. So it's like you can make a leather purse, but that Tom Ford zipper, having access to making that gold, like that, that giant zipper, that's the, yeah, it's not no YKK. So we can go downtown, we can do all of that, but for your brand to actually have that luxury touch, you have to have access to the people that manufacture those touches, and we don't have access to those people. So then how can we, as like, a, a, like we love, and our people love to show that they're wearing red, like when I go to the airport and I see how many black folks are wearing Louboutins, it just really hurts me. Like, you know, that shoe doesn't even, when I, I don't even use Louboutin in my client work really because the way that it's manufactured is not manufactured for an American foot, even. It's, it's, it's like a, it's like a side, it's like the skinny, extremely high, it's like, it's, in, it's not even made natural for a, 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 an average American foot to wear, you know? But people wear them anyways, because of the bottom. Like, I don't know, there's just these things that are inherently racist in sizing and wear, and I stay away, I try to stay away from brands and stores that uh, discriminate 
purely based on, like, actually, Barney's New York has a problem when they're buying. I think their buying is really shit. Because when you go in there, like, they don't really go buy past the size eight, you know? Um, if you're a plus size person or, you know, like, you, you're over a size, and, and eight is not even plus size. Like, um, like you know what I mean? I, I, you go past a size 10 and you go into luxury stores, I think we should not shop at stores that only carry size six and below. I think that's inherently so discriminatory. And I, do, I try not to work with those stores. So anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going on. Does anybody, Jazzy, you have something to say? Um, I just wanted to maybe issue a challenge to everybody, but so I got this 80-20 rule from probably like Goop or something, but it's something like white ladies are doing with their makeup and going organic, um, non-toxic with their makeup, and I've kind of adopted it. I don't think I'm at 80-20, um, but I'm maybe 60-40 wearing non-toxic makeup versus uh, super toxic makeup. Um, 60% of the time organic, 40% of the time, yeah, whatever works, which is a whole other story for black people and organic makeup products, whatever. Um, I think we could do the same thing. I think the barrier to entry to buying black has significantly decreased and there's um, an Instagram account and website and this might be the app you mentioned. I'm not sure if they have an app, but it seems like they would, webuyblack.com. Um, they just had to round up all the black products and it's no more difficult than buying your stuff on Amazon. You just might buy something from a black company. There's a black laundry detergent company. I think we could all probably just very easily, it doesn't have to be this like seeking out thing. I think there's a lot of black brands that are right there that we could just buy that instead of buying Tide. Um, and it's probably made better, quite frankly. Okay, thank you. So, we, so I want to get into... Um, Maybe we should get into it. Has anyone had a traumatic, fucked up experience with any businesses? Like, is there anywhere I should absolutely just not, like, we should absolutely just not deal with in business? Okay, Chase, and um, I want to talk about Yelp fingers and all of that. So we'll get into that. So go ahead, Chase. What, what happened to you? Yeah, one place that I don't fuck with is Target. 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 So one time, um, I took my grandpa, it was like my grandpa, like me and my brother had to hang out with my grandpa, so we took him to the cemetery and then we took him to Target. We went to go buy a razor. Which take, Target was this, by the way? This is in the valley on uh, Ventura Boulevard, right? So I went to go buy the razor, it wasn't the right one. I came back into the Target with my receipt, I went to the front desk and I said, I'm gonna go get a new razor. I went to the aisle, got the razor, came back with the receipt, put the other one back on the rack, and said, I wanna trade this in. The girl got confused, waited for her manager to come. The manager came to the front. He was like this, you know, short Mexican guy, but he had like a, a complex, like he was, you know, poking himself a certain way. And um, he was like, uh, excuse me, sir, um, did you buy that razor? And I was like, yeah, this is my receipt. And he was like, well, we didn't, see, we, we didn't see you on the camera the first time when you went to go purchase the item. And I was like, sir, I just walked in. You could check the camera. And he's like, well, we just checked the cameras and we didn't see you. And I was like, oh, I don't know what cameras you were checking, sir. 
And then so he kept on pressing a certain way. And then he, I, I was like, could I just like take this and leave? He was like, how about you wait for the police to come? And I said, yeah, I, I could wait for the police to come. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's no big deal. But like, you know, why are you acting some type of way in front of all these people, man? This is really disrespectful. And I was like, I'm not trying to raise my voice on you because I'm not trying to humiliate you. So my brother was, you know, offended. And, um, and you know, it was just a weird situation. Like, you know what I mean? They're trying to make it seem like you don't have money in a store that you live down the street from. And I just really didn't respect it. Target tried to say an apology, said they'll give us a couple coupons, but I'm like... No, yeah. that's trash. <laughs> yeah, it was dirty. So, I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to wish bad on no business, but that was some disrespectful shit. Wow, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, I've had a lot since I've been living in LA. Um, like, a lot. Where are you from? Um, I grew up um, in D.C. and Maryland on the border. Who said that? I grew up on, um, in, on, in Maryland on the borderline of D.C., going back and forth, but I spent all my 20s in the Bay Area, going back and forth from SF to Oakland, um, and I've been here for four years. And do you feel like it's been worse here? Um, I mean, that's always tricky to answer because how I'm functioning and what I'm aware of now compared to when I was in the Bay Area is very different. Um, I, I will say it's more exhausting here. Like, being on Spring Street downtown is like, guaranteed I'm gonna see a white person with either box braids, cornrows, or like dreadlock, like guaranteed, like two, at least guaranteed two of the three. Um, whereas in the Bay Area, it's like, they too scared to try it. So I don't, I don't know, but I've, I've had a lot of horrible experiences living out here. Um, the first week of me living in LA, went to the Hollywood Standard with Dahlia, Marcel, actually yeah, just Dahlia, Marcel and I. Um, they tried the two forms of ID and holding on a credit card thing and wouldn't let me into the pool. Um, the Lash downtown is extremely anti-black. Um, they have new security now, um, but I, and I used to do door for um, a weekly that happened on Mondays, and that was the only reason I fucked with them, is I go on Mondays for that. Um, the Lash, I recommend not supporting. Um, the Standard, I go because of the hard to read, and like that's actually what I read about when um, Fiona curated me into an evening, was like, I talked about that, and then all the white people in the room, <laughs> just it went over their head. Um, but that, and just, yeah, it's just been like a, a nonstop thing. Um, one of the places actually just slipped my mind. Yeah, but the standard just literally, just like the two forms of ID, um, like a tactic that, like literally, like we're gonna hold on to your credit card. Um, you're not a guest, we're gonna hold on to your credit card and we need to see two forms of ID. And the white girl I was with was just like, I've never had to do that here. Um, I'm not doing it. And like, that's the only reason we got in because she was just like, I'm not doing that today. Um, and there's other things we can do if this is how you wanna go about it. Um, but that, the red line downtown, um, a black friend, a black femme, friend of mine, Ramdasha, DJed um, a party there, and the whole staff was just like disrespectful from jump. And it's like, wow. 
the sad reality of like all oh, your doormen are like cishead black men but and like they're being more respectful than like you are and like this is a queer establishment but at the end of the night they told her that like she wasn't like if she came back to DJ but she's not welcome back but if she came back to DJ she couldn't play the music that she was playing because she, they didn't like the element that it brought in but the gag is like that night she was covering for a DJ who hosts the party but was out of town but that is their hip hop party so it was just like this thing of like as they're like like on all the television screens are like clips of like Missy and Little Kim and yeah yeah it's like at the end of the night they're telling her that like you brought too many niggers in this space and like you're not welcome back in here but like refuse to give her drink tickets like hosting the party like all these people are here because of me you're making money tonight didn't want to give her drink tickets because like they didn't want us drinking for free um yeah it's just been like a non-stop like it's why i don't go outside for a lot of reasons of just like just very target i went to go buy clippers um and they do the whole like if you get certain things like they have to hold it up at the front um type is it's just yeah it's just Wait, so you said that if you have things, they make you take your bag off and they hold it for you? Yeah. At the red line? No, no, no. Well, at, the, at the red line, oh, at, at Target. Target? At Target. Yeah, 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 at Target. Um, yeah. My cousin worked for Target and it was like corporate and he had to quit. It was so racist. And I was don't. In Minneapolis. I'm unemployed and like couch surfing and like looking for a job. And it's like, I keep having to like all these situations of like, I could apply to Target, but then, and that's another thing about the standard is I've spoken to black people who've worked for the standard, um, who've been instructed to like instigate and maintain specifically anti-black policies. Um, I have a friend, a very popular DJ within the scene who's maybe current, but whatever, ex-partner, black, cis, gay, black dude who worked at the standard and like told him all about like, no, like, yeah, like Dove had the cops called on her at the Hollywood standard because she was sitting in a lobby waiting for a friend um, and they didn't believe that like your element would have somebody that would be renting a room here. Um, yeah, it's just a continuous, like, yeah. Um, I wanted to mention one because myself, a million, and Whitney dealt with it. I'm like, was anybody else there that night? Yeah, Shelly, Erica. Shelly, Erica, Samantha, a bunch of us. Um, and what was the name of that place? I had never been there, but apparently lots of people go there. What is it? That wasn't the name of it. No, the name of the bar. The bar that we were at. No, the pizza night. It was by Pizza Nista, is it? It wasn't ERB. I, I, I can't remember. No. It wasn't a pizza place. Remember where we went after the NTS show, Whitney? The ball? Yeah. It was ERB. What does that stand for? Everson Royce Bar. That's what I, that was the one on the door. Yeah, I didn't know that was. Okay, Everson Royce is what I, yeah. But we were having this, like, a whole thing go down there. I'm going to let someone else tell the story because I'm pretty long-winded, but we had this moment where we had to like zoom out and realized we were the only black people, I think, in the establishment, and we're like, oh, that's what's happening here. And when we left, I was pretty heated. I'll let Whitney Wait, tell the story. Did you want to tell the story? With yeah. You? Yeah, I mean, 
So basically we went there, we were, okay, we went there because our friend Shelly was there for um, an art event and there was open bar and uh, open food. So that's why we like chose that spot. We were close to it, so we went there. There was an open bar and all, all of this on like one side of the bar. We sat at another side and ordered drinks that we were going to pay for and whatnot. And someone from our party left and went and got a pizza and brought a pizza back. And we're in like a... A slice of pizza, sorry, sorry, let's clarify. Um, and so she came back with a slice of pizza. And mind you, they had free food. They were giving away free food to people on the patio. And it's a we beer garden. It's an open-air beer garden. It's not like fancy by any means. She brought a slice in, and they were like, after she was already sitting there eating, we'd already ordered our $15 cocktails, they were like, no outside food. And she was like, cool, can I finish my slice? And they're like... I guess, basically. They said it was okay. And then they just sent, like, one after another, they sent people over to the table to start talking shit to her, basically. Like, you can't have outside food. You're going to need to go. We can hold your pizza at the front if you want. And we were like, someone already said it's okay. And they were like, who said it? Because they're going to lose their job. And they just kept sending people out and kept sending people out. And they finally and sent it was like the, three the like, manager... They sent the manager and the bouncer, the big, like, giant black bouncer who had been, like, calling us family when we came in. That was the part that was real. I was like, dog, why do you care about a slice of pizza? And there were, like, eight of us, and we all had cocktails, so we're already looking at, like, you know, like an $80 tab already before we'd ordered any food, and they just kept sending people out. And we're like, we tried to talk to them really in, like, a, like, it's one slice of pizza. She'll Samantha be done with it in two to minutes. put the pizza down underneath the table where you could not see the pizza, and that wasn't good enough for no. them. They were like, no, we'll hold it at the bar for you. I'm like, in what world are you going to let someone hold your food after they've been, like, weirdly, like, intimidating you? The shit was so weird, and, and we so were just like, part, is it worth it? Yeah, I, I got combative with... Uh, the security guy verbally, not like crazy or anything. And he... In the same tone that you're speaking right now, yes. for the record. Um, and he asked me or implied that I had must not have ever eaten in a fine dining establishment before. And Which this was not. This is not <laughs> For that, the record. No. Um, and so, yeah, we were just like, cool. And then at this point, a million walked in with like three people. And we were like, no, no, guys, we're walking out. A million was like, say no more, fam. We all walked out. There were some guys trying to flirt with us on the way out. And we were like, they're kicking us out. You can come too. So we we're like taking the bar with The them bartender was like, enjoy your pizza, ladies. I was ready to slap on her On some like point. super cunty shit. We, I, we were ready to like, it was weird. It just got very, it just got very obviously anti-black. So it was yes. like, what is the reason for the come down? Like, what is the reason for like five people to envelop the table and tell us that like her slice of pizza is fucking illegal? It was so weird. Yeah. There was... There was, was multiple box, staff she saying bye, She put it on, the, put it on the, the bench. We were like, bye forever. I also know the owners. I didn't ever call them, but I do know the owners. So does Erica. Oh, Erica was there too. But so I was like, this happens all the time. But I was like, I left at that point. I was like, this is why, like you said, this is why I don't leave my house. Um, but I had talked to Sean about it. And he was like, let me look up their Yelp reviews when I was in the car, just like telling him what happened. There were a number, we looked at the one-star reviews, and there were a number of them that were like, hey, guys, this place is anti-black. Like, they have a policy about turning, they, like, somebody, it was, like, white people, and they were like, my black friend was trying to come in and meet us, and they told them we were at capacity. We were all sitting inside, and they absolutely were not. 
they were just turning away black folks at the door. And so this seems to be like a systemic thing. They have a policy that they don't want too many black people there. And we were probably 10 black women deep at that point. And that was, they were over the quota. That became very clear to me after reading the Yelp reviews and... Yeah, there you go. Well, they also own Silver Lake Wine, and they also own, they just opened another spot too. And I honestly thought that the couple was cool, but like when you go someplace and you see that it's a, it's a culture, it, it starts to be like question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Is it on? I was just going to agree. And so, yeah, LA is very anti-black. It's been that way for like a long time. I didn't really even understand it as anti-blackness until I went to other places where I was respected. And I was like, damn, this place is just not made for people that look like me. Especially the, the bigger you are, the darker you are. Like, it's just crazy out here. And I wish more people were talking about it. So I appreciate it. Um, I also just want to, like, I know there's, like, really, really shitty, shitty experiences that people experience where you're very obviously treated, like, racistly, and then it's like, let's definitely not go there. Like, what was the name of that spot? I just... ERP? ER? Like, so whack. What is it, ERP? Okay. Um, But I also, like, I don't know, there's this new cafe that just opened up in West Adams called Highly Likely and I'd like to talk about it because it's very obviously gentrifying the neighborhood like it like you can just tell even just like from from like the aesthetics of that space next to everything that's around it like you just it has all the markers of you know it's a cafe it's white owned it's like you know, floor-to-ceiling windows and people are just chilling and you're just wondering, like, I mean, I've never been treated weirdly there. I, I live nearby, I go there, I see a lot of my friends there, but I also just think about, like, the responsibility of, like, being there, like, especially as, like, young millennials, like, whatever, we're artists, we have, like, an aesthetic look that, like, when other black people are walking by, it's like, you, you see it, you see that this spot is new, you see that it's white owned, it's very obvious, and you can feel it, and, and then you like peek in, and you see like some cool black people inside, you know, and then you're like, oh, like, I guess they co-sign it, I can co-sign it too, you like, you know, pop in, you get a drink, you get a meal, you spend like $20 on lunch and then you like regret it later, but you're also like, yeah, co-signing it in a way. And I don't know, like, even if you've never been treated poorly by the establishment, it's like, what, like, I would like to just like push the establishment to like do more for the community, you know? Like you're here, you're obviously making like way more money than other establishments in the area and like you're charging way more and you're welcoming in all these other gentrifiers that are like, you know, like walking their dogs, they pull up, they start supporting the, the and like obviously rent is gonna be raised in that neighborhood from, from then on and like it's a very violent act to even just like be there. So like what, I don't know, other than, because, yeah, it's just strange to to take up space in a, in a place like that, even if 
there isn't like direct violence. It's like the on a larger scale, the violence of the gentrification of that neighborhood is very apparent. So like, how can we like demand? I don't know, like a portion of their of their um, income, like go back to the community or like, what do you, you know, like how can they just like really take responsibility and accountability for like their presence? Um, I'm, I'm curious about that. So I live in Frogtown and I've been there about a decade, which makes me a gentrifier, um, like a, like an earlier, I mean, I, I look at my, my like community in like, am I, Benefiting? Am I am I affecting it positively or negatively? And I think like I raise a family there, and I don't I don't sell high priced things that the neighborhood can't afford. And so I, I find my like my space in my neighborhood to be mainly benevolent. But I think about it a lot now because Frogtown in the last couple of years has become what they call poppin'. And we uh, a few years back we got a sandwich spot. And I fucking love sandwiches. Like, maybe they're pedestrian, but I love sandwiches. I was so excited to have, like, a not Subway in my hood. And so I would go to this spot called Wax Paper, and uh, maybe some of you have been there. And it's like, they're really good sandwiches, but they're, like, 13 bucks in a neighborhood, dead in the center of a neighborhood where the average, like, or the median income is, like, 30K a year or something like that. People that can't really afford $13 sandwiches. And um, I really like their sandwiches and I had to stop going there. And when I see the lady sometimes, she looks at me like, what happened? <laughs> and uh, one time I was there with a friend. This is before I decided I, like, I couldn't do it. Uh, my friend really wanted to go and so we went. And I was like, all right, I'll go, but you gotta like check it out with me because I get a real gentrification vibe. And so my friend asked, she was like, so what, you know, what neighborhood are you from? What brought you to Frogtown? And the lady said, well, I know people love to throw around that ugly G word, Whoa. but we, um, we really, you know, we came, blah, 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 blah. she had this whole thing, but I was like, I can never go again. If she can't say gentrification as a clear gentrifier, like this is not a sp space that I can support. So I don't be eating their bomb ass sandwiches anymore. That's it, thank you. <laughs> How do we feel about gentrifiers or specifically white people referring to themselves as gentrifiers? Like, is that something we have like reverence for in their accountability? Or are we still like calling yourself a fucking gentrifier right now? Like, who the fuck are you? Because I find disdain in it either way. Yeah, like if you can't be accountable for it, but how do we feel if they do show up? Because I was at, in Frogtown, this white boy bought out this strip of, um, he was a nice guy. His name was Josh or something like that. He was nice. Um, he bought out this, uh, like, a whole block, actually. Um, it used to be, like, like a mechanic's, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a almost like a warehouse space that he totally converted um, into, like, creative studios. And he was having some, like, underground dinner series there. And I got invited, and it was, like, the chefs of Sushi Gen were there. And it was, like you know, like real elitist hipster shit, which is like, you know, sometimes they eat that shit up. But I was sitting there and I was like talking with them and, he, and I was like, how did you get this space? Like, um, like, what's the story behind it? And he referred to himself as a gentrifier and then kind of laughed about it and I was just like, 
and, you know, and he and he thought he he took it super lightly, like, and and he was accountable, like he was aware of the fact that he was a gent, like he gentrified that space. Um, so the accountability was there, but the way he. I mean, yeah, I guess it's not actual accountability, but if you're, na- if you're naming it and you are aware of the fact that you are a gentrifier, it is... So- would, you, would you like to expand more on that? I, I mean, I hadn't planned on expounding, but, like, that, that sort of, like, claiming, claiming words that like really marginalize and put down large groups of people just to claim it like that'd be like if people were just like yeah colonizer <laughs> like that's wild no this is not you you haven't really claimed the the consequences nor the connotations or the like any anything that comes with the word but you enjoy like the buzziness of it and so, like, you toss it out as well. That doesn't, you, you, haven't, you haven't claimed anything like responsibility for that word and what it does and what it means and how it acts, how that word is put into action. Like, you've just casually taken all of that and, like, tossed it under how buzzy it is and how cool you feel to say it. Like, how very ironic of you. Like, that's why. <laughs> yeah, edgy. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very dismissive. It's, condesc- it's condescending. As hell, it is condescending. It, yeah. it, it doesn't help. <laughs> San Francisco Chronicle, not that long ago, put out a an article um, that was written by an Asian food critic, and she was reviewing Thomas Keller's new restaurant that he opened in, um, like, an out in. Napa Valley, it's a Mexican restaurant. And I was like, this, this old French dude is making tacos. And the, the headline for the article was, um, I can't remember the name of his, um, I can't remember the name of the Mexican restaurant that he opened, but the, the article headline was, um, Thomas Keller's new restaurant is gentrific- or cultural appropriation done right. And this is this is an Asian woman who 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 wrote this this article, and I'm like, okay, it's one thing for it to be clickbait, but that in and of itself is really, really fucked up. Um, sorry, I'm saying fuck so much. It's like my it's my heart's expression. Uh, but 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 the, and so you go on to read the article, and she says something to the effect of like. Um, like something about how are the people who have like skin in the game getting recognition for um, like the work they're doing? And I'm like, are, like who are we talking about here? Like who are the people that have skin in the game? Like yes, like line cooks and chefs are like they're soldiers. Like I'm a chef. Like I understand what it's like working in a restaurant. But like the people that like the people the people that created that food are not getting any recognition whatsoever. And also the fact that an Asian woman is saying that that a French dude making tacos is cultural appropriation done right is, like, deeply upsetting, right? I mean, I feel like all these things, like, what you just mentioned with white boy Josh and, like, his, like, bullshit, like, 
block brewery in like San Francisco. I mean, for me, and it, and it, and and it doesn't work this way for everybody. Like I understand some people are having different boundaries and like personal strictness, but for me, those things are just like, I ain't fucking with you. Like white people that refer to themselves as like calling, it's just like, like keep that you get that and like wherever you're coming at it, like whatever that's you, but like I'm gonna be over here and like, like fuck you. And for me, that's the only response to that shit. Is like, it's not a, it's not a, I mean, you, I mean, if you, if you want, if you want to, to, use your personal energy for that, yes. But I feel like, for me, I'm just going to remove myself from this situation. I mean, like the question of like, how can this business, what can this business do? Basically, how can this business decolonize itself as it's colonizing this neighborhood? For me, there is no way of doing that. Because even if they hire people of color who live in the neighborhood, they're still lining their pockets by, it's like, for me, it's one of those things where it's just like, you just need to get the fuck out. Like, you just need not to exist. And I feel like that's the response that POC, specifically black people, need to have to those things of like, you know, being on a panel, say that again? White people need to too. Yeah, but I mean, but, but they, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of at a personal point in my life where it's just like, I know they're not. And what they're gonna learn to do is to, to perform that in front of you, but they're still going to, I mean, like, what happened that night at the Standard? Like, literally, I just recanted this story of, like, ridiculous anti-blackness that me and my peers that were there that night experienced, and one of the white people in the audience asked Fiona, like, well, what has been your experience, like, working for the Standard and curating this thing? And, like, literally, like, she looks me dead in the eye, and it's just like, it hasn't been like that for me. And for me, it's been, like, really great, and yada, 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 and it's just like, of course it's been really great for you, Fiona. Like, duh. And, like, you literally are, like, you're performing, like, the performance in front of me right now, where it's just, like, on my cell phone, we can have a conversation about how, like, all the artwork you're getting ready to show this night is white feminist stuff and like you feel awkward about having me there because like you don't want to be whatever um but it's just like it's just we should not tolerate it and like there is nothing capitalism isn't going to go anywhere tomorrow and i if i were to experience spaces like this i will say that i would prefer to experience it in people that are running it in sustaining it and operating it, live in the neighborhood, look like the people who've cultivated that neighborhood. I would prefer that than it just be a bunch of outsider people, but I prefer really for it to just not be there. And for people to just literally be able to like say, I'm not gonna go in there. I'm not gonna buy a sandwich. I'm not gonna buy a cup of coffee. I don't give a fuck if it's my aesthetic. I don't give a fuck if I don't have anything else like this in my neighborhood. You still don't have anything like that in your neighborhood because that isn't for you. You're, it's just like, like, I mean. That's a good point. For the past four years, I've been having this thing, for the past five, six years, I've been having this thing with black people in LA about printed matter. And uh, like people, <laughs> like I don't, it's, I don't know if you all are familiar, but like Printed Matter is like an art book ephemeral like store. They present themselves as like this archive and like they are archive, but it's a store in New York and they have the art book fair that happens in New York and they bring it to LA through MoCA. Um, but one particular year they had an artist, oh, a cishead white woman do uh, an exclusive print that if you 
bought this print, or if you bought a ticket to opening night, which is exclusive preview, then you get this poster for free. The poster was a Black Lives Matter print. That It just said BLM, but it was a Black Lives Matter print. There was a whole fiasco about like, where's this money going? Who is this white woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Printed Matter responded like some booty. She responded like some booty. I've like forgot. It's it was just it was just that was my first real direct experience with Printed Matter was coming to LA with a friend and helping him man his table for his press. Um, and like having to deal with actually some of the black people that I ended up um socializing with upon living in LA were people that I met that weekend actually and having these conversations about this is some bullshit and like I like I learned all this in the car ride on the way down to this motherfucker <laughs> um but just this thing of like the next year to apologize they gave BLM LA a free table but the year after that they took the table away and the year after that when it was brought to their attention to discuss well why isn't like why don't they just have a permanent free table because that's what they deserve. It was this thing of just like, well, it's out of my hands. And it's just like, how is it out of your hands when you're the white boy who runs the fair? You're the white boy bringing all of these fucking art people from New York. How is it like, it's just like this thing of just like, I don't fuck with them. And I tell my friends who fuck with them flat out, like, I don't fuck with them. I'm not shaming you for fucking with them. But like, when they do something to your black ass or you experience some weird shit, don't say anything to me about it. Like, I don't want to hear it because I've already given you a bit. Like, for me, that's my response to it is like, don't expect anything from these people. Don't even waste your time trying to argue with them because depending on the circumstance, they'll give you something to, sh like, to shut you the fuck up. And when they don't have to give it to you anymore, they will definitely take it away from you. Um, yeah, there's, there's like real limits to race, white, race, white folks and racial accountability that, you know, it's just, just not developed. If, if white folks are doing anything, they definitely have recently heard it from some black person on what they, you know, go and do. But Adam. Oh. Um, I kind of forgot what I was going to say, but... Um, I think these motherfuckers don't care, you know? They have no shame. Yeah. They might tell you they, they do, but they will still accessorize their entire artistic identity with black people and black culture. Every iteration and nuance of it, from music to dance to everything, you know? And, 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 and it's, it's for profit, it's for personal gain. And they will, they, they will include you in a marginal fashion, right? And there's, I think there is value in calling these folks out. But I, it's something that kind of like, I kind of sit in a weird kind of like indifference about, you know, like... I feel as though there is more of an opportunity of using the energy that we typically use for calling out to build things that they don't know about. I agree. I second that. Build things they don't know about that are fucking lit and really, really well done Obviously, I'm speaking through the scope of what, you know, I do. That really center the people who come from those cultures as the operators of these things. And then 
watch them come, well, scramble, but then just kind of like try to transact with you and then you have the power. The catch is that in order to really pull these things off, you have to kind of break some rules that, you know, you could kind of end up breaking, you know, you have to break the law a little bit, you know? But I think that we spend a lot of time and, and I don't want to come off as like, oh, we shouldn't call people out or people who are calling people out are wasting time. But I do think there's value in covert organization. You know, there's a... That, but then also when you call, when you call out, you become a target. You know, there's a, um, an artist, Charles Gaines, who did a, a, a show at uh, Art and Practice a few years ago, um, and it also showed in, in Mexico City, which is where I got the chance to see it. I'm not a contemporary art fella, but I find myself, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be exposed to a lot of it, you know? And with this piece of art, he, um, he took speeches, Stokely Carmichael speeches, and then overlaid those speeches with, um, I can't remember the exact piece of music, but it's like, a, like an, a Spanish or an Italian piece of opera, right? So the, the opera, the, the music notes are transparent, and then behind it are Stokely Carmichael um, speeches. And, one, and it's like a, a dozen panels that he would like, you know, install in a, in a, in a, in a gallery it's space. The, I used to work for him as students. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's the speeches turned into some genre of music. Exactly. Um, his studio is actually like five blocks from here. I used to work for him. Okay. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and one of the one of the panels had a, 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 a snippet from a Stokely Carmichael speech that talked about gorillas versus gorillas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, UE versus O, where a, a gorilla is someone that moves as a gorilla. You know, gorilla warfare is, and I, I, I hate that this should be a documentary right now, but gorilla warfare is essentially moving in the masses. Yeah. Nobody knows who the fuck you are. You're in the masses, you're not wearing no, you know, in the speech he talks about, a gorilla wears a button that says, I'm a revolutionary. Fight the, fight the man, black power, blah, 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 blah. Look at me, I'm a revolutionary. Whereas a gorilla, the UE one, is in the masses observing, collecting data, and empowering covertly. And I think there's more power to be gained by doing these things and empowering your own people in a covert, kind of, you know, low radar way, so that in the long term, the transaction power is, is, is your decision to be made. Well, yeah, he did. But Brother Stokely was. But it's important. It's, it, but he it, was. It's helpful when you have a like when you have a support system behind you. Like that's something that like I've struggled with, like the past seven years of functioning. Like like within proximity of like the contemporary art world, the white contemporary art, even the black contemporary art world is like 
when you have a support system, like most people, specifically black artists, most of them are not calling people out. If anything, they're actually welcoming these problematic people into their spaces. Um, but when you have a support system behind you, even if you're saying something ignorant, even if you're saying something off base, even like people will defend it, will defend you, will support you. So it's like, it's that thing of like, me personally as like a solo writer and a lot of this shit, it's like, I have an independent press. Like I have friends who table at printed matter. I have a friend who's good, who, whatever. It's like I have direct proximity to those people and I know how those people feel about me from the things that I've said about them. And I know how they would feel about me if I was an Antoine Sargent or a Kimberly Drew. Like if I was that person and I said this shit, then they would listen. And it's not because of what I'm saying, it's that there would be a system of people, um, a crew of friends of faces and names and shit that it's like, they don't want to like, ha like they don't want to be viewed as negative in those people. So it's like, it's one of those things of like, you know, that support system helps when you call people out, like definitely. And when you don't have that, I definitely do recommend people not getting involved. Last thing, I agree, and you're right. He did call people out, but that man was a damn prime minister of the fucking Black Panther Party, you know? We out here just on some like, okay, we got a, a couple thousand followers on Instagram type vibe, you know? And Instagram is just so fickle, you know? And all of this internet shit is just such a flash in the pan kind of vibe where at the end of the day, the truest influence you could ever have is the amount of people that you could rally in real life. You know, if you look at some of these people that uh, have a gazillion followers, they could post something like come meet me here whether it's a turn up or a fucking panel and nobody will pull up you know the question is and i guess i'm going on a tangent here is how do you how do you establish in real life um uh, like power through the little bit of influence that we have without necessarily making yourself a target because at the end of the day Bogard identified some motherfuckers as black identity extremists. Like, they're, you know, and I, I guess I'm a little paranoid, but they're watching, and I ain't trying to be watched. I, I only got a green card up in here. You feel me? So I wanted to, I might be like backpedaling a little bit, but I wanted to bounce off of what you said about, um, like, people within our community, within the black community, also being problematic. Um, I know that there's a lot of work that we should be doing to hold white people accountable, um, but I feel like before we do any outside work, right, like we need to do internal work as well. We need to make sure that like our foundation is so solid that like, okay, cool, when I leave this house, like I'm good and now I can check everybody outside and say, y'all need to do this or y'all need to do that or you need to, you know, respect me. And that's just how it is. Um, and I say that to say like, for me, I had an experience uh, literally last Sunday at Everyday People. I don't know if, I don't know if people have heard of, yeah. Um, really, I was super excited. 
I was super excited to go. I was like, oh my God, like I've heard so many things about it. Like so many great like black people, like it was beautiful, music was popping, everything was great. Um, and so I go, I go to the restroom like anybody else. If you need to go to the restroom, you go to the restroom. Um, there was like this long ass queue for the women's restroom. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not waiting in that line. I'm just gonna go to the, the men's restroom. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And um, I go and there's this like bathroom attendant guy and he's standing there and he's like, whoa, you can't, you can't use the restroom here. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? I, I, literally, and I, I literally just need to use the restroom. Like I'm not gonna do anything else here. So you don't have anything to worry about. He's like, I'm sorry, but you can't use, you can't use the restroom here. And I'm like, I, I just kept repeating myself. And I was like, I don't know what, I literally don't know what else to say other than I just need to use the restroom. I'm not here to do anything else. And as I'm saying that, there's like men walking past me to use the restroom, washing their hands. And there's like a long queue of women standing behind me, just waiting to use the restroom, gawking and like looking and figuring out like what the fuck is going on. Um, and so then there's a guy, a black guy who's in uh, the urinal. He like pops his head out as he was peeing. And he was like, what did you say, sir? Like all they want to do is just use the restroom. Like, are you the, you the bathroom guard? Are you, are you somebody who's in charge? Like you can't tell this person they can't use the restroom so shout out to that shout out to that guy like because that was support but the guy he was like I'm just saying you know if she wants to use the restroom here then you know what about all the other women that want to use the restroom and I was like well then they could use the restroom like they would literally just walk in use the restroom and leave that's that's as simple as it is and then I was like well you're assuming my gender number one so that's the first thing that you're doing and then he was like well well are you well, are you a man or are you a woman what are you and I'm like, I just want to use the restroom. I was so, I was so taken back. I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do right now. Like I, although there was that man supporting me, I still felt super alone. You know, I felt like surrounded by all these black people. There's, you know, high profile queer folks there that are also black. And I'm like, I, when I walked in, I thought that there was like a community and a support. But in that moment, I felt like super fucking alone. Um, and so, yeah, at the end of the day, I had to leave because he said, well, I can call security and you guys can go. And I was like, well, I don't want to fucking not have a good time because you sitting up here being ignorant as fuck. So I left in that moment not feeling like not feeling good at all. But um, I went home and I emailed um, everyday people and I like broke it down like literally this is what happened. And I didn't leave it at just like this is what happened and that's not okay. I, I broke it down and I explained that if this is an organization and if this is a community that is supporting black people, I think it's important to make sure that you're including all black people, regardless of gender, sexual orientation. Because I see that when it comes to like black events, we don't really think about that. Like it's cool to invite queer folks who are black because it makes them look good. Like low key, that's just what it is. But when it comes to actually showing up and like rallying and supporting the queer black community, that's not really present. Um, and so I was like, I don't know if they're gonna email me back. I just shot the email, but I got an email back um, from the co-founder and uh, it was a really long, extensive email and I was, I was happy about that. It wasn't one of those like write-off emails where it's like, oh, I'm super sorry that that happened to you. Here's a free t-shirt make sure you come back again. Like it was like, listen, I was completely unaware of that. I am so sorry that you experienced that. I now know 
I now know that I have a lot to work on as as a founder and I don't think that I was aware of that as an issue seeing as you know we're based in New York so you know the 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 club that we operate out there is gender neutral. So I guess I just didn't really think about that out here. But I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to talk with you and just kind of get your experiences so that future events, this problem doesn't happen. So I feel like we definitely have to do our part within our community to talk to our people so that way we are solid as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's definitely a way of holding people accountable. Like, I mean... Yeah, it's a shitty situation, but I don't know if I'll go back, but it is nice to know that like this person reached out and was like, listen, I'm sorry that this happened. Like, I, I want to do better. Um, so I definitely feel like we need to do work internally to make sure that like we're supporting ourselves so that way we continue to support, right? Because if, if I got a shitty ass response, that's now a black dollar and everybody else that I tell that's not gonna support your agency. And then if I wanted to talk to somebody else, that could have potentially been an article and your whole shit would have got shut down. So it's like, we really have to be mindful about that and really do the work to make sure that we're being aware of our entire community and like just putting in that work. So yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Kat. Wow. Okay, so Chase? Yeah, I just wanted to like, wanted us to speak a little bit more on the gentrification conversation. You know what I mean? Because like, I mean, that was something that's real. Um, first of all, I was hearing what everyone had to say, and I was respecting that. Um, kind of a, my personal belief, I feel like, you know, the word gentrification doesn't really define what we're really speaking on. And uh, I feel like when people use the word, they use it kind of with kind of a different definition. Um, my brother moved to New York, Brooklyn. He's not from there. He's gentrifying the neighborhood. However, I think what we're looking for are people who move into a neighborhood and, um, and blend with the neighborhood rather than try to segregate themselves from the neighborhood. Um, so I don't really think it's like a white and black thing, although there's a lot of white people buying property in these neighborhoods. I think we just need to be a little bit more specific with like, you know, what we're trying to say with those topics and like, how are we gonna provide action in contrast to just like commenting on something like you have a problem with people buying property here, how are you going to have action maneuvering the way you look, you know what I mean, rather than... I guess my big problem with black gentrification when, I don't know, for me, I have experienced, like being from LA, especially being from where I grew up in LA and like what the experiences I've had and like my experiences with like the prison system here and like with just all the shit that comes with being from a city like Los Angeles, and then I see like black capitalists come, and like I once made the mistake of calling out Kelsey Lou, and it almost ruined my career. Like shit like that, where it's just like, I almost made the mistake of like calling out Kelsey Lou, and it almost ruined my career. Like Friends, not my friend anymore, because I'm calling out like, like, you know, the supreme indie goddess, and I'm just like, I forgot LA was just a playground to just make money and not actually live up to any ideals that you're speaking about. But it's just like things like that where it's just like it's so easy to like, I don't know, like people go to sauce and swap me and get 
dress up in all black gear and like just feel so black. It feels so black. And it could be black and brown people that I've seen do this. I will never think about the people from there. Never think of inviting the people to their events. Or I'll go to a party that's across the street from where I used to live. It's all white people there. On, on fucking Slauson, on like in Lamert Park. And I'm like, okay, this is a black party, but all I see is white people, all these white men trying to talk to me across the street from where I grew up. I can't do this. I can't do this. Like things like that, where it's just like, no one wants to talk about that or like experience, talk about that experience of gentrification where like there's so many young black creatives already here that don't ever get any play because as soon as someone who like has the right degree or has the right skin tone or like has the right this instantly comes and they get snatch up all the opportunities and will leave you in the dust. Or follow those black girls, steal their energy, steal what they say, take all that and not give a fuck about where any of that come from. Like, it just gets me so fucking angry. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, Brandon, you had something to say? I, I always find this, I'm just gonna say it um, really quick if that's okay, Brandon. Yeah. Um, I hear, like, I feel that way about Solange. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't care. I mean, yeah, I got in trouble one time when I tweeted that. I <laughs> Anyways, I'm not going to talk about that tweet. But um, I, I find, I, I, you know, it's funny because when you live in a society like this in terms of like black worship and the way that other black folks or POC worship other black folks, it doesn't leave room for us to have any um, agent, like for them to have agency or responsibility, you know, because we immortalize whoever's made it to the point where they can't fall. And when they fall, it's it's a horrific hard fall. It's like R. Kelly, like Michael Jackson, like God forbid you say anything negative about Beyonce. Like God forbid, like you, you know, and when I, when I see that, and God forbid you say anything negative in, or, or say, hold Solange accountable on a public forum, FKA Twigs. God forbid you have anything to say about FKA Twigs. Well, it's saying, like, if you have something critical to say. Because people know, critical. How, to, people know yeah, how to critical. navigate, like, petty hater bullshit, which is, like, they can't handle when you actually say something critical. Right. Critical, and critical critique is a part of art. That is an absolute part of art. What's happened is that we have these images and we have people that are calling themselves artists, but they are in, and I feel like if you are incapable of taking any critic, criticism, critical critique about what you're doing, you're not a real artist. And you should allow everybody, and anybody, for me, like, when I started painting, I'm like, anybody can say whatever, and even with sisters, like, I allow myself to be held accountable. You know what I mean? Like, please, if you have something to say, tell me. Like, for real, like, you know what I mean? You know, I take responsibility for, like, not interjecting pronoun speak or, like, certain, like, things that I'm responsible for in this space. You know what I mean? And when I want to say something about Solange, you know one thing that I don't like about artists, especially POC artists, and I see it from behind the scenes where, yeah, maybe I work with this person that's white and maybe did something with Diplo that was found like abhorrent in the um, in the cultural community that they work but this person is actually so I find myself torn where I'm like this person's like really nice to me 
And like, I got paid on time, I was respected on set and this and that, but then there's this cultural aspect that I understand. When I see people doing things for the culture and then they are treating people of color horribly. They are waiting for their checks for more than 60 days, if even getting the check at all. You know what I mean? They are not credited. You know what I mean? Okay, in terms of management as a creative, you are responsible for being uplifting your team and for crediting your team, especially if you're not working for much money or anything at all. And 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 I see these people just thriving and people just shaking at the at the fear of getting heard that they will say something negative about that person. Also, that person being held accountable. Um, if ever at all, you know what I mean? Because, and to me, I don't want that to be a representative of, of, of the African-American culture, because I think as an African-American, as a, as, a, as a person of color, like, we have so much magic here that I think accountability is actually the key factor of us actually moving upward and forward within our own community. Like, we can call white folks out all we want, but what about us? Because if we're not strong as a unit, and we can like, you can like spend all your energy calling out white people and gentrification and all this, but if we're not like a unit, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's the, the blind leading the blind. Cause when you're, when we, like if we're organized and ready and then you start calling out folks and you start moving, it's like, it's war. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, like there are moves to it. So I don't know, I wish to see that in LA a lot more, especially with all of this creativity around. I think that people should be held accountable. I think we should support the POC creatives that do support their people. You know what I mean? Like, what's your, are you the CEO of your creative prowess, whatever that is? So whatever you're doing as a creative, like there's a trickle down to it. And you know what I mean? I would rather my assistants get paid before me, like where I've done that. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, just take this money. I'll have $50 for a week. But, you know, I know what that's like. Anyways, sorry. That's like ahead. a different type of awareness, though, as well. If you're like, get, if, because what you were highlighting with the salon situation is that the oppression will trickle down. If you're not getting, you know, enough to cover your bases or whatever, that you'll become from like a, what is it, a, a lesser kind of like mindset of like, I need to keep this with me and I can't like expand it. And I think it's um, a very particular care, a person of character to be like, I want to make sure that the people that I'm working with are experiencing some type of integrity as they move forward in their creative pursuits because you have a personal relationship to it. But I think that um, maybe that's something that we can like bring into the conversation that um, these external factors of like racism and classism and, and respectability politics often impact the way we interact with each other and you know limit mm -hmm. us you know because that takes a certain level of determination to be like uh, I'm no I know what I'm going for and I'm going to sacrifice to you know show another person that there's a certain standard that they should expect as well right yeah absolutely because when like, yeah, when it comes down to it, you are a reflection of who you work with, I think. Like, Nicki Minaj is, is, is a horrible person. I don't hear anybody tell me that Nicki Minaj is a nice person that's worked with her. You know, I know that she's owed, like, one of my former assistants and some people um, that have worked on this recent tour have been unpaid, like, thousands, like, up to, upwards of seven or more thousands of dollars where they're asking me, like, what should we 
you know, wh where do we go from here, you know? Um, and that teaches other people in Nikki's position that, that that's okay as a diva, that that's how mu other musicians will follow in that lead and are, already are, you know, that following in that lead. So when you operate that way, and I've made bad business moves because I learned that from the bad business person I was working for. Well, that's what she did, so I'm gonna do that. And then I made a, I learned from that the hard way because I don't get away with it as long as that non, that white passing person or whatever. But that's what I learned as an assistant from that person and that's how they operated, you know? So, um, yeah, we, I, I look like how, how, like, I don't know. It's been the only way I think that I've seen people that, I've worked for that it's not hard, then it doesn't have to be hard, you know? And I, I, I learned from like, I watched like white people I worked for and, was, and saw how it wasn't hard for them because of the way they treated people too. I mean, white, black, whatever, like, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, wow, like, like this is operational, people are not hurting one another and the job, the work looks good. That's possible. Yeah, like the only example I've had had of that is just um, I think Issa Rae has a great reputation, right? Not only in how she interacts with other people, but um, like other people like spread the word. Of, well, that she educates people too on like how to kind of move in this space. Um, even when she was just on YouTube, it wasn't like get the biggest name to be on your YouTube channel or or whatever. Um, a lot of times she was working with people that were also trying to get on and. Um, I think what I'm learning in this moment is that you have to be willing to kind of like redistribute, redistribute even non-material things like influence and things. I think Nipsey Hussle was doing that a lot too where he was putting on people that, you know, didn't necessarily have big names or anything like that but were about what he was about or whatever. Um, so I think that's one way of also like stepping away from the impact of capitalism when you're first getting started is thinking that you have to have money and you have to, you know, work with people to have money and things like that to have a valuable product. Oh, well, I mean, it, it, it kind of boils down to influence. Not necessarily influencing an Issa Rae or a Solange or a Kelsey Lou or whoever the fuck is, you know, rich at the moment doing what they do type of influence is influence with the little ass tribe of people that you have. And using that influence and building a, a certain culture within that group of people, whether it's collectivism and sacrifice, which is the culture that I'm trying to establish and the shit that I do, and then work in that community to reach out to other factions of black people. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what we, we fail to realize is that, it, I mean, we, we don't fail to realize it. But we, 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 um, we overlook the fact that we're not a monolithic group of people. You know, it's a fucking diaspora. Mm -hmm. But it's a diaspora that exists in a H&M kind of world where you could buy your look. Yeah. You could buy your fucking swag like you could buy a Halloween costume. You see it on TV, you get it tomorrow on Amazon Prime. You understand? So a lot of times we look, and I could say this for me and the people that I've been around going to Howard University and being around HBCU niggas for so long, we look at each other 
based on the surface and the way we look and the way we speak and the, you know, the, the, what teams we follow or, you know, who we voted for and so on, not realizing that the best example is the Haitian Revolution. Them motherfuckers did not fuck with each other. It was so many villages across the entire island of Santo Domingo that they hated each other. Some of them practiced some wild, barbaric shit during the revolution, such as marching onto plantations with white babies on pikes. You understand me? Those people were executed by other black people because of, you know, there was disagreement, and it took them 10 plus years to actually get over those, those differences and establish a, like, a, 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 like a common culture of collective movement, mass organization. So I think the, the thing that I really appreciate about sisters is that you're mobilizing a small group of people and that's more powerful than anything any of these massive stars could do. And if we could kind of all do that within our own circles, it will have a much stronger impact, you know? Taking examples of like what you saw with the way you should pay people before you pay yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's just, that's, that's um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. I guess what, um, something that we were talking about earlier today is like whistleblowing. And like this idea of like the whistleblower is supposed to be like protected, like you're not supposed to like get angry at someone for like talking about what oppression they're going through, like what's going on because they're supposed to be protected under this rule. But I just like don't think some people are and I'm just like so, like for me right now, I'm like trying to like understand the role of like forgiveness of someone who never asked for it or even like forgiveness of like just letting shit go that you know you shouldn't let go or even like all these ways that we, small ways that we survive under this system. And yeah, like... Um, like, or even if someone like hurts, offends you and doesn't understand why they offended you, yet you're within the same community and they won't take the space to actually give you that space to even like, describe why or what is happening. Like in all these spaces, like you're still supposed to be within the same community while not hearing each other, listening to each other. So I'm just like curious. <laughs> I just want to note that I'm interested in the role that clout pays in in how people do speak up like in terms of what you're talking about about being critical of the Knoll sisters for instance or calling out people within the community who do things I mean you know I understand what you're talking about about cancellation and call out culture and and moving on the low and real G's move in silence like lasagna I got it I got it but also like when someone does cross a line as a community we should be able to collectively be like that's a line that you crossed and you don't have to be out forever but like what's what's it look like to come back into the circle and, and be accountable and whatever and uh, I think when people have clout whatever that looks like. A lot of times it's just a follower count. Um, it, it makes it just exponentially harder to be critical of them and we feel like way more trepidatious about, about approaching those sort of like 
balancing acts. I feel like there's times when, when things get imbalanced and you don't have a way to like say something because people with more pull or whatever um, are the ones that you would be being critical of. So I feel like there has to be a way for us to be like, all right, I fuck with your aesthetic, Solange, for instance, but... Dot dot dot. Like and and have and have and have the support of the community because you do face, like you said, you do face trolls. You you get attacked. You put yourself. You make yourself a target by being, uh, by standing up to people. So what what does it look like? What does it look like to like actually get accountability from people who have the luxury of having large number of followers or whatever? It doesn't mean to hold someone who's trying to hold someone accountable. Yes. What does it mean to hold someone who's trying to hold someone accountable, but at the same time not just like asserting violence over another person with privilege? How does it feel to hold someone who's trying to hold someone accountable, but at the same time not support maybe their violence or like, I don't know, I'm trying to like, sorry, I'm still thinking through what it means. As soon as I said it, I thought of the same time when that are you Are you kind of talking about like how call out culture? Because I, I had, the, there's like a big issue with this in the Bay Area where people kind of weaponize their their pain and their, um, and they're calling everybody out. Like it's a, like when I'm in the Bay because I have community up there, like people go ham. You know, it's like different than here. They're like, you're this, like, you know, people, you, you, you'll get, you can get fucked up. Like, like kick your ass kick like because you didn't you took money from a party like there's a thing about this person like use money from a party that they said was to support Muslim community and they use it to front on their rent because their rent was due but they were going to get the money and then donate the money but they had like used it to like pay for rent and they got their ass beat you know what I mean but also too I'm kind of like well if they're going to give it anyway I mean to me I'm like if they're going to give it anyways, I mean, what timing, you know, so, but people use, have a lot of pain and they use call out culture for their, like, um, like a, their own benefit, like, is that what you mean? Like to cut and yeah. have a justification to cut? I don't know. I think, I think Adam wanted to say something before you head out. Oh yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of times um, I get criticized for this because it is kind of passive, but people that do whack shit, will always have it coming. Every time, it's, it's, it's never, it never fails. Do, when people do whack shit, I feel as though if you call them out, it, it kind of interrupts the karma that was coming for them. You know what I mean? Because it, 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 it's not math, and I'm not a, a crazy religious guy, but all that shit just comes back around. And you see it. Sometimes it's a slow cooker, and you're watching them, and you're like, oh, shit, look. I see what was going on there, and I see how things are turning out for you. Other times, it's just like immediate. It's like, you say this, boom, you're taking an L. You know? So it feels, sometimes it burns me up inside, like, damn, I want to say something, or somebody should say something. But I always feel as though, like, okay, that energy that I could have, that I would have taken to write an, a really nice five-paragraph essay, could go into flipping something else, flipping some other cash, or bringing somebody on board that actually does what, the opposite of what that person is is saying. You know, so that sounds a little soft. You know what I mean? But that's that's been my my approach. You know. 
that's what I was going to say to a certain extent is that like we use this word community, but we're not talking about a community. We're talking about industries and scenes and fan bases. And you cannot hold somebody that like you cannot hold a celebrity, a social figure accountable in the same way that you can appear. And like the way that those people end up being held accountable, and nine times out of 10, they're not. They're just being grilled is when that karma comes around or just whatever happens in the industry, when those gears turn and that, and that drop happens, that's what happens. So I feel like that's, that's this thing of like, like how do you hold, like how do you hold somebody near to you as you're trying to hold them accountable? Like that for me, doesn't relate to what's going on with these celebrity figures or these these creatives that are that have a mass following. That question for me is related to like one-on-one -on -one peers, family, friends, people that are like building like the gatekeepers of the scene. And I feel like in the, like coming from the Bay Area, that shit's real. But I feel like in the Bay Area it's a lot of non-black people, a lot of white white people, and it's a spectacle, and it's this, it's people, people, I feel like people in the Bay Area, specifically San Francisco and Oakland, have this diluted thing, and I realized that when I moved out there at the age of 17, of this like, you know, my life is so great, I'm so great, the world is so great, like, look at all of this feminism around us, look at all of this diversity around us, and they forget that it's like, nah, bro, like, like, go over 20 miles, and it's a very different vibe, and I feel like all of that just, it's a clusterfuck of just, like, those people just, like, being deluded about who they are. Um, for me, like, I think about things in, like, a, a, a theory or, like, a concept of, like, a piece of the pie. Like, if I have a plate, like, all my niggas are gonna eat. And I feel like a lot of people don't approach things that way. They approach things and get in where, you, where I can fit in, and then they pop off, and then it's like, well, I'm only dealing with you because I need you, and I'll pay you if I have to pay you. Versus like, no, whenever I got something, you got something, and that's how we continue to move forward. Most of us don't move that way. Most of us do not demand or expect that of other people. Um, but yet we talk about these things, like we use words like community to talk about these things when it's like, no, like that's how community works. Like, like you pick somebody's kids up after school, you walk them home, you feed them, you do this or that. Whereas like none of that happens in these equations because it's an industry. Um, and then I feel like there's this, there's this second, for me, there's another thing about it. Like earlier today, like somebody called me like a judge and jury because I flat out was just like, what Lena and Kirby did at the Met Gala, like the statements on their back, that to me was insulting on like so many degrees. And then throughout the evening and this morning, as it played out further, it became even more insulting and infuriating of like, neither one of you niggas even read the statements on your backs to see if they were like misspelt or not. Um, when you're made aware that it's misspelled, one of you like tries to like co-opt and ca or like well, yeah co-opt and capitalize and bastardize like AAVE. The other ones of you like you don't want to take accountability that it's your product that was made, so you blame it on an unnamed employee that's mixed in a number of 28 employees. The statement that you made is fucked up and offensive still because. Like, who are you, like, like, they're no longer here, but that was my, 
Um, the misspelling of the black drag queen. Well, that's also another thing. Black drag queens invented camp. Like, okay, yes, like, I understand that. I agree with that. That's very real. But, like, like you also could have just came to the Met Gala with the black drag queen. Like, there's ways in which, like, you could have activated that statement instead of it being, like, like, you're, like, but would that be using them as props? I mean, wouldn't no, that, because that, if, that it's, if it's your peer, if it's a, if it's a performer you admire, I mean, like that's the thing. Like everybody at that event, it's all propage. Like you're at that event because like Anna Wintour has assigned you to a designer, or this celebrity, like this person who's not famous but has a lot of money has paid. Like it's all like all of that is just propage. It's all bullshit. It's all like it's all of that. So even if like she had shown up with Shangela or some other light-skinned nigga that's popping in drag right now, like, like it would have been accepted because her showing up with the Pyramus nigga was already like a prop situation. Um, his statement that he wore on his back, that was offensive and insulting to me because it's like, on one hand, one suit is what I'm reading, you trying to educate non-black people. This suit, you're trying to educate your people, but which of your people are you trying to educate? Like the question or the statement that he made about black people gentrifying neighborhoods and their brother living in Brooklyn, it's like, yeah, no, we can gentrify and fuck up our own spaces or other black people's spaces. I think we have to be careful with that language. I think gentrification is a very specific systemic thing. And when black people, brown people, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the rule is that you have to stay exactly where you're from and only do things there. No, and not I know at that's all. not what you're saying. No. But I'm just speaking generally about the concept of black people gentrifying neighborhoods. Like, Poor black people cannot gentrify. I, as a poor black, like, we've had this conversation before about, like, there's no reason for me to be in L.A. Like, I don't communicate with anybody in my family. Like, I'm a solo nigga out in this world. There's no other place for me to go. So I'm here until, like, I can be someplace else. But I, the situation that I am in, I cannot gentrify. Even if I go to, like, the most whitest, bullshittiest, like, gentrifying galleries and this or that, I'm participating in those things, but it's a very different thing for a person of color, specifically a black person, interacting with those things. Right. Now, if I came from an upper middle class family or this or that, yes, I'm a gentrifier. And I'm, I'm complacent and I'm associating all of these things. Um, I, like, I interact with the word gentrification as purely what it is. It's the changing of an environment or a neighborhood, whether it be of value or below value. I grew up in my stepfather's childhood home in a neighborhood that is the hood. But when he was a kid, it was probably like a country suburb. It was a country suburb. Like those parts of Maryland and DC, you can literally look at the physical makeout of the city, of the state and county, and see how, like, 10 years ago, this was where the middle class people lived. And then poor people moved in, so you moved 50 more miles out, and, like, you can see those actual ripple lines, and, like, for me, that's how I've always, like, interacted with gentrification. It's not just purely taking a, a destitute or lacking neighborhood or vacant area and flipping it up. It's just simply the changing of an environment. But like back to the Paramount thing, like for me, what's offensive about that is, is that the statement that you, that statement needs to be made to those particular black people that can afford to say, I'm moving to this neighborhood. What did his jacket say? I don't remember. Um, Something pour about your money, 
buy your block, basically pull your money, buy your gotcha. block, the stupid shit that Jay Z said. Jay Z stuff. Um, and for me, that's the thing is like those statements need to be made to their peers. Like, don't be like, like, like this spectacle. Like, it's like for me, that's what's insulting about it. Is it's expect it's an insincere spectacle that you would never actually sit down and have this conversation amongst your peers. About, literally, because the people that can afford, like, it's poverty shaming. Like, literally, I've been having this conversation, like, since Nipsey died of this thing that is just like you, or since Nipsey was murdered, you cannot. Like, the people that can afford to buy these blocks, nine times out of 10, don't want to live in those fucking blocks at all. And when they buy something in that neighborhood, the people that live in that neighborhood cannot frequent it. Like, you know, we have this, we have this idea that, yes, yes, our, 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 um, I don't know, for me it's just this thing of like, it is very possible for a black person to gentrify a neighborhood. It's happened before, it's happening right now. Art and practice isn't a prime example of that. Um, Underground Museum is a prime example of that. Like, there's blood on like people, on black people's hands involved in these literal things. They might not be doing the slaughtering, but they're definitely there in the presence of blood and it's on them and they're not trying to wash it off and they're rubbing it on everybody else. Um, but it's, it's, for me, it's, it's just insulting that people with access, people that should be doing these things are not speaking amongst themselves and actually saying like, hey, actually like opening a business in like a, a neighborhood that you do not live in, you as a black person doing that, you can go to the local high school and say, I'm hiring teenagers to work in my cafe. You can say, like, it, just like things like that, but they don't do things like that. They just embroider a statement on the back of a jacket and then like a below middle class person sees it online and regrams it. Yeah, I think that's a broad generalization. I don't think there are like black businesses that don't, like, I don't think it's like so black and white, you know? Business is not... Sorry, I didn't mean to jump because so we have we have Camila after this. I don't know if Jazzy want to say something. We have to wrap this up, and then I don't know if Trey has something to say. But just really quickly, like business, that's what I th I think people need to realize about here that your moral standard is there's no power behind your moral standard until you get your business going. You know what I mean? Until you realize that it's not black and white, and their business is so transactional. And so in order for us to be a part of that transaction, we got to like, you know, yeah, Underground Museum is art washing, but so is art and practice, you know, and, but there's black artists showing. So it's like, you can't, it's hard to win, but I also think this is black artists. Yeah, rarely, yeah. So, but it's, it's, it's still violent. I totally hear you and agree with a, with a lot of. I think as like a new black business owner um, in a neighborhood I did grow up in um, or right down the street from, um, there's so much pressure put on black people to be perfect and be everything and. Sometimes, like, I, I get exhausted by it sometimes, truthfully. It's like, can I just, like, start a business too? Like, and I know as a black person, I do have to do better, and I do have to think about these things. And sometimes just being in the body I'm in, by nature of starting a business, like, you know, my mom had to die so I could get some life insurance money so that I could open this business. And I'm like, is that not enough? And sometimes the answer is no, that's not enough. But it's really exhausting 
being owning a business, period, black, white, whoever. And I think sometimes we're all just doing the best we can and we can't like do all the things all the time. And I think using the war analogy, some people are fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat. Some people are doing their covert mission over here and inviting the white people in. And we can do all of those things at the same time and hopefully get somewhere. I this just is, wanna, can I, just I just say, say this real fast? Because it's like, like I just literally. I want to say one thing really quickly. Just on that note, um, circling back around, I really appreciate you making a point to say like it is exhausting to cover all the bases at all times. And I think that calling people out and holding people accountable is incredibly nuanced across the board. And sometimes I think when we are personally passionate about whatever the context is, um, we can sometimes lose sight of that. But I think that there's, there's value in all of those things at different capacities. And we can each play our role in that. And as long as we're coming into communion together to discuss what side of the fence we're all standing on, as long as we're all like back to back or holding it down, I think that we can cover many bases working together because who I'm gonna call out or what I'm gonna say or the, the battle that I'm gonna take on might not be the same as you or you, but if we're chipping away at the block collectively, I think that's how we make change. And when we, when we don't call people out, and calling people out, that, it looks different across, it, it looks different. You know, um, I don't mean like chastising somebody because we live in a very like pitchfork mentality. Like we all want to come for each other. And I think that like calling people out and being accountable and holding other people accountable, we have to practice compassion when we can. And I know that it's difficult to do so when so much of our cultural livelihood is at stake, but when you can find those spaces to apply it, it's extremely important for the health and well-being of ourselves and literally our community, like our actual community. Um, and when you don't practice that compassion, it's a missed opportunity to educate because ultimately I think that's really what's important is to share and generate um, a wider perspective. Otherwise, dynamic flow and change doesn't occur, and, it, and then we end up with things like uh, battles and warfare, and we're talking about drawing lines, and ultimately, like, that doesn't fucking get us anywhere. So we work from within and go outward, but you have to, there has to be some softness interwoven into that and some grace for ourselves, especially, because it's just... Some days I wake up and I fucking can't, and I won't, and I'm not going to feel bad about that, but then there are days where I'm going to come through, and I'm going to write that letter, I'm going to tell everybody, I'm going to be like, yo, did you see this shit, like, we got to, you know, so compassion and grace are extremely important, and yeah, like, can, can, can I just live, like, one time, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, that's very true. And so specifically what you said for me personally when it comes to like dealing, like navigating the critiques, I truly personally feel like it's very rare that like niggas get a critique head on. Like I feel like mostly what's happening is it's something, we feel it, we, we feel it and we know it inside of ourselves and we're carrying that on ourselves and instead of choosing to deal with it and explore it, we just keep it bottled up. And so for me, it's really, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. 
Like if you're if you have your business and you know what your mission statement is and your goals are and what you're executing, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. Like that's my issue when well off, specifically well off within their chosen creative field coming from a well off family, when those types of niggas make these statements, that's why it's insulting to me because it's just like you they never direct it to the person that it needs to apply it to. They direct it towards black people. And then all the black people pick it up and latch on to it. And then it becomes this thing of shaming and guilt and like, well, like literally people talking about like, well, you need to start watching gardening videos on YouTube instead of like loving hip hop. And it's like, okay, yes, but that's not how it works. Like, like niggas that live in projects can't have gardens. Like I know that from experience, like it's just like, it's these things. So like with the criticisms as somebody, as a black person who's doing things, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. Like when I started my press, we started out focusing on like women identified writers in general. And then within a year, even before the year marker was out, it was just like, no, like I'm just doing, like I'm not printing another book from a white woman. Like I don't care what they've done for me or what they've given to me. And that wasn't because, and none of my peers said anything to me. None of my, none of my peers gave me any negative critiques. All I got was positive responses from like, it's so great that you're doing this. Like I appreciate this, yada, yada, yada. But I felt that like internal critique of like, nigga, you know what you need to be doing. Like, Lucy or Ryder, but fuck Lucy, she good to go. Like, she can manage her own book. So, and it's like, I feel like, you know, sometimes we're projecting these critiques because we really know what's going on, but we're not, like, stepping up to deal with it. Did you, thank you for that, Brent. Yeah, that's okay. Thank you, Brent. Yeah, thank you for your, everything you've said. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's such a this conversation can can keep going. I mean, and actually we can we can go into like so many different sectors, and I hope that we can continue this. And I want to ask all of you to give yourselves a round. Oh, okay. Well, first, let's, um, first of all, Jazzy has gifts. Um, what is it? Owned company. Black-owned Band-Aids, uh, Ebonade from the 70s. These are all dead stock, but they still stick really, really well. Uh, they made, this is just an example of what we can do when we make things for our community and for ourselves. So I'm gonna pass those around. They're all black Band-Aids. This is a, I, I don't know, it's white-owned, this company, True Color. This is the modern version of this. This doesn't exist anymore. Um, but they make, Band-Aids for brown people. They don't make one for white people, but this, the man who owns the company has two black children and that's why he created this for them. So in some way it is black owned. Um, but anyway, I just brought these to pass out to everybody from my shop, so cool. Thank you, that's so generous of you. Um, so just so you guys know, this is recorded as a podcast. I think I made that clear earlier. If there's anything that you have second thoughts about that you thought this is a safe space, just email uh, me. Uh, hello at a million at sisterswithinvoices.com and we'll delete it or beep it. Um, Archie over here handles all the sound. Naya as well, they're editing our podcast. Thank you. So they'll we send you a clip of like that situation that you said and to get your approval of, of what you said if you feel uncomfortable later. So it's okay. You have time to, to think, about, think about it. Can you guys give yourselves a round of applause? <laughs> Seriously, no, that was, 
That was fire. I feel kind of like there's a workout and like a, like a little bit, like a little bit of that. So thank you again. Thank you for holding space. Teray, do you have something to say? Thank you for moderating today. Thank you, Jazzy. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you, Kat. No, thank you all. The last thing I wanted to say in, in relationship to this conversation was just like um, highlighting in advocating for ourselves and, and holding people accountable. I, I do personally feel like we might need to look at the ways that we've internalized a perspective of like punishment as the only punishment and death as the only answer to wrongness. Um, and I think it's because we live under a system that is, you know, people are disposable, people need to be uh, publicly shamed. And um, I'm th particularly if we're thinking, since most of this conversation focused on black folks being accountable to black folks, I do think that that is a place where we don't just only say like, hey, we need to develop empathy for each other, but also look at the diversity of ways that we can respond to the reality that we have a diversity of feelings when people slight us. Like it's totally okay for somebody to be angry. It's okay for somebody to be like, I will not talk to this person. And, yeah, and but but for us to have, to develop more support systems like you were talking about, like what does it mean to respect and honor that my friend wants to curse this person out, that my friend wants to fight, and they have the righteous anger because they've been slighted and dehumanized in a certain way. Um, and what are we gonna do over the next couple months? What are we gonna do, you know, um, to make this healing process, to make this accountability process more transformative and dynamic because accountability is a gift. Like to tell somebody how they fucked up, to, to talk, even with businesses, we're, we're offering you ways to improve your business because we're even saying anything about how you fucked up. Like, you know, what you did, Kat, was, was amazing, be, uh, amazing yeah. gift to that, to that organization. And so they're, <laughs> Where's your consultation fee? Yep. Everyday people pay cat. What's your Venmo? <laughs> so, <laughs> Katrina so I just wanted to bring that up in, in relationship to this. We talked about so many things, but for me, the overarching thing was like, how are we going to unearth that internalized like perspective when it comes to each other? Thank you for that, Teray. Thank you. Thank Big you hand to you guys. So yeah, mediation is... Right, transformative justice. That's what Jasmine just said. If you guys need mediation, hit us up. Hit sisters up. We can figure it out. These businesses love to punish people. They like go off and they want to go to the, like school principals have that problem. This education system has that problem. It's okay, it's okay. All right, y'all. Thank you for coming. We out. No small talk. Bitch, I'm taking calls. No small talk. 